today. A special holiday gift for the last show of the year. You're going to be very excited about it. Howard reunites with one of his heroes. My hero. (laughs) My hero. Wow. In the flesh. Is that really you? Singer, songwriter, musician, activist, two-time Grammy winner, and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Neil Young. I want to talk to Neil Young. Did music turn you into the man you always kind of wanted to be? Music turned me into myself. I love to be able to disappear into the music. traditional Christmas music. I think it's wonderful that we adapted the uh, a Great American Nightmare to give you that holiday feeling, but not that same old holiday music. That's right, Robin. You're absolutely that, A lot of work went into that. I, you know, I don't like to pull back the curtain, but the geniuses who work on this show, uh, to put together what you just heard, the um, Rob Zombie song and Christmas mashup, so to speak, uh, a lot of work. Uh, a lot of this was recorded. Uh, I, I should have the guys. The mashup has 64 audio tracks in total. I'm not kidding. What? This is true. Yes, this was made by our staff. Um, give me the credits on that, guys. Write it down what? for me because, uh, you know, let's give credit where credit is due. You should. Here's how the guys recorded. I'll, I'll show you. Dig deep down from planet X, the team ghosts in the devil's head. Step right up and feel the fire, hardcore love of the never dead. Call me no. the American Nightmare. Beautiful. Call me yes, this was produced. I won't talk over it. This was produced by our own Rich Gibbons. Everyone loves Rich Gibbons. And um, that big choir sound features two of our singers. Our senior producer, Jeremy Lipkin, and former staffer and current uh, voiceover talent, Connie Martino. Though that That's just their two Those voices. Those up- are making all of that music. That's right. 45 tracks of vocals total. Wow. Jeremy sung five parts of harmony and Connie sung four parts. So, you know. You don't you know, need a choir. Why are they always dragging out a choir? You need two people. <laughs> I'm pulling the curtain back, but, you know, we are, we are uh, perceived on this show as a, a bunch of morons and uh, talentless fucks, but uh, really a lot of uh, talent. Uh, eat your heart out, Phil Spector. He's gone, though, so he, he doesn't have to be jealous. Listen to that wall of sound. Yes. Wall of sound. <laughs> In the holiday season, I'm particularly grateful to the people who work on our show. They're so talented. A lot of show-offs in this organization. Well, you know, uh, as they say on the Academy Awards, so many things, so many people went into this award, and their names never get mentioned. I know. You know what? It is the last show before the holiday break. I um, I should have done a show today where I introduce people who do some of the voices that you love. And um, I I should do some of that. But it takes a village of lunatics to put this show together. All right, I should close the curtain. I've just opened the curtain behind the scenes, and now I should close that curtain. Okay. But um, 
But I am particularly grateful to our staff. They do such a great job all year, you know, making people laugh. Uh, sometimes uh, we, we win and sometimes we lose, but we're always trying. Um, so many of the voices that you hear on the air, they're, they're all so talented. You know what I'll do when we get back from break? I'll put together a show where I will pull back the curtain again, and I will introduce you to some of the players on this show Very and what good. they do. And Because that's well, incredible that that's just two people. That's just two people, as I say. deep down from planet ghosts in the devil's head. Step right up and feel the fire. What's so nice about having a deep bench of very talented people is that whatever we come up with, whether I come up with something or, or our gang of writers come up with something or our producers, uh, we have the people available to actually make it happen. Yeah, you don't so, have to wonder how to get it done. That's right. We just say, get it done, and it gets done. Give me a big chorus, singing Rob Zombie Christmas music. Boom. There it is. Just a boom. Deep, deep down from the planet Earth. ghosts in the devil's Level head. head. Right up and feel the fire. They Let me tell like you. singing together. They sure do. What an illusion. You think it was a bunch of people doing that. Nick, you're on the air in Indiana. Let's talk a little bit. Let's we got a lot to do. Hey now, Howard. Hey now. Hey now. I, I, I gotta tell you. Hey now. That interview yesterday with uh Ben Affleck, I've never heard you so locked in before. I mean, it was uh fantastic. I mean well, uh, I got emotional about it. Uh, especially the part uh, when you were talking to him about uh, his father. And uh, I thought you were going to kind of pull back, but you kept going. You dug in there. It was tremendous. I mean, you did an excellent job. I'd say it's probably one of your best interviews of all time, if not the best. You did an excellent job. Uh, Well, thank you. I want to say a few words about Ben Affleck. And I'm glad you called in first, Nick, because it gets me organized. And you know, did I've you got stay a bunch up of all night, so you could be first. Well, what? I'm glad he did. I mean... However, however he did it, he was first. And I <laughs> and I, I do want to say a few words about Ben Affleck because I called him last night, and uh, I had his personal number. Not many people give me their personal number. First of all, uh, it's a very dangerous thing to give me your personal number. I might never stop hounding you. But he uh, gave me his personal number. I didn't get to talk to him. I left him a message. And I thanked him on behalf of my show and the audience and everyone who works on the show. I said, you know, uh, first of all, you're very gracious to give us all that time. Secondly, um, you know, geez, I think the things that you had to say were so important to hear. And the way you're open and honest about life, I thought it was so terrific. You know, we we live in a world, especially with social media, where everyone is criticized and everyone is put upon if they're real. And this is part of the problem with cancel culture. People are becoming more and more afraid to say what's on their mind because they're afraid of the judgment. They're afraid of the fact that they could lose their livelihood, this kind of thing. But I got no sense from this guy that he was editing himself or sitting there and trying to sugarcoat life 
he was really very raw and very open about not only the movie business that he is in, but also about some of the downs that he's had in his life where people stopped communicating with him because he had a couple of movies that tanked. Yeah, mostly fact that people he, won't the, let you in on their bad times yes. and how hard it was. The fact that he talked about even the movies that tanked, you know, a lot of people just kind of try to forget that and push it aside, especially when they're on a roll like he is. So it was very unusual to me to be having that level of conversation with a guy on the radio where he just came and said, let's talk. Vulnerable. Let's, you, know. you had him. I mean, and listen, it, it, let, it, let me let me let me eliminate the word. I had him. He is an open guy. He is vulnerable. And he he was willing to wear his heart on his sleeve. Now, the reason I even bring this up uh, that I called him, I was so grateful for the interview because the entire, I don't know how long we talked, almost two hours. The entire two hours was pretty phenomenal in that I felt like it was just a, a conversation I might have had with someone in private, like in, at a dinner party. If I met Ben Affleck and I had a chance to talk with him, we'd just be... Hey, you know, like, what was it like when you made this movie? What, what, what's what's Clooney like? What was it like when you were married and, you know, and, and, you, and the paparazzi? The guy was, he was sharing with us. So I found it a little bit disturbing, but it, it comes with the territory. When I, I, um, I, I saw in the tabloids almost immediately, uh, Ben Affleck gets criticized for saying he was drinking because he felt trapped in his marriage. And I thought about it, and I said, geez, that's what you got out of that interview, because here's what I got. I'm a divorced man. I know tons of people who are divorced. In fact, half of this country is divorced. People who are yeah, in marriages are now divorced. are divorced at least once. The people I meet who aren't divorced have been in deep relationships where they broke up. I can tell you that in Almost every single conversation I've ever had with a divorced man or woman, and I say, what went wrong? I've heard four out of five times, I felt trapped. I felt like, and now what does it mean when a, a divorced man or woman says they felt trapped? Here's what it means. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. Here's what it means. It means they're a good person. It means they married someone under the promise that it was going to be forever. Then they have kids. And then all of a sudden, you realize, for whatever reason, you're not in love with this person anymore. But you feel trapped because you're honest. You want to stand by your word. You don't want to leave the home where your children are. You don't, you made a vow to someone who is meaningful to you, somebody you once loved, but you might not be in love with anymore for a variety of reasons. But for whatever reason, you feel trapped because, geez, I don't want to hurt anybody. How do I work this out? I'd rather and drink it's not myself. Like they're trapping you. No. You are trapped by your own conscience and your desire to live up to your word. That's right. That's exactly it. So, what Ben described in an incredibly honest moment especially for a celebrity who's probably been coached by every fucking public relations person. The guy gets on here and he says, yeah, I felt trapped. I knew exactly what he meant. Yeah. He was saying yeah, to us. Sound, 
Yeah, he wasn't saying I blame my wife for my drinking. He knows who he knows he was drinking. He decided to drink because he was trapped and he felt like maybe I could get through life if I'm drunk. You know, I told you about my mother the other day and I was making a joke out of it. But in all seriousness, she needed to go on Valium. She she whatever, whatever nightmare she was having, she felt trapped. My father even said to her, let's start drinking. In other words, let's deal with this by doing something that we medicate ourselves. And so this guy, Ben Affleck, if you take one sentence out, I felt trapped in my marriage and criticize it, you've missed the point. When he was talking about the deep hurt that he was in, that he made a couple of shitty movies and now he wouldn't even hear from his friends. That anybody can relate to that. Anybody who's been down on their luck. So this guy was so relatable. I was so grateful. Like you, Nick, I felt like, geez, I really fucking dig this guy. And and I'll tell you something here. Let me continue. The fans wrote in, and so many people said, um, great interview with Ben. I've changed my opinion about him. He isn't some stuck-up, ignorant prick the media portrays him to be. Thanks for peeling back layers of these individuals, making them more real and likable than mainstream media makes them out to be. Um, um, here, best interview. I l- always love Ben's movies, but now I'm a huge fan. Howard, it really changed my view of him after Tuesday's interview. Uh, ben Affleck was awesome today. Uh, uh, Howard, he shed some light on who he really is and who and who and what he's been through. Uh, I, I loved it. Um, the Ben Affleck interview was one of the greatest. If you want an honest, unfiltered account of alcoholism, addiction, and sobriety, it's a must listen. I felt that the whole time. I was like, I wonder if this, you know, if you're dealing with that issue, he was so dead on about how you go through it, how you get out of it. Yeah. Uh, when he said, I was, I was, I'll, I'll tell you what. I got on my um, on the phone with my psychiatrist yesterday for 45 minutes. All I talked about was Ben Affleck. I said, I learned a lot from this guy. When he was talking about... Well, Howard. Yeah. Is it weird that I was thinking about you when you were talking about him, though? I was, I was listening to both, but I was also thinking about you, especially when he touched in on his father and the relationship there. I was thinking... Yeah, uh, I, sure. I, I, I mean, I... For a guy to talk about his pain, and, and, he, and he, he had to stop for a few uh, seconds a couple of times because he was going to get emotional. For him to talk about his father in that way, you don't see that or hear that from people no. who are so accomplished and they have you know public relations people. This guy sat back, lit up a cigarette, and fucking started yeah. to talk about his life in a way that uh, rarely happens anywhere. Yeah, I defy you to find anybody on that level who could sit back and fucking tell you the way his life went in such honest terms. When he was talking about the pain of these, you know, of of, uh, of Robert Wall goofing on him and becoming a joke to some guy at Saturday Night Live, which, by the way, we spent about 17 hours trying to figure out who it was and we'd narrowed it down to a few people. But when he when he um, was talking about that, you know, and even I said to him, well, you know, being back with Jennifer Lopez back in those days, I bet you that even cost you when when you had a couple of tank movies 
and you guys are in a movie together, it probably costs you your relationship because, yeah, it was about 50% of that. That, you know, you, you start to feel like you got a stink on you, you know? And uh, this guy was so honest and raw. So, you know, to just come out of it and say, oh, you know, he he, he got out of his marriage because he felt um, trapped. trapped. I can't tell you how honest that. I mean, every divorced person I know, no matter who leaves who, felt trapped in some way because of these vows we take, because of the, you know, because most people are decent. Most people don't want to get divorced. Most people don't want to betray a relationship. Most people don't want to say, I know I promised you forever, but unfortunately, we ain't doing so well. This guy, this guy was sensational yesterday. Not good, sensational. Yes. So were and, you. Uh, so were you. Well, thanks. But I, I don't know about that. But I, I think this guy. No, you were. Well, I, that's why I called him yesterday. And I called most of our guests and I say thank you. But uh, and don't get me wrong. Uh, this ain't taken away from uh, some of the phenomenal people who've, who have uh, done the show. But man, oh man, what he was saying yesterday I thought was great. And I agree with the listeners who wrote me. And almost everybody wrote in and said, man, wow, this guy is is really deep. So there you yeah. go. That's but, uh, no, I, I was just wanted listening to... to Neil Young in an interview last night. And yeah. he said the media is the enemy. And when you take one thing from a conversation that was so incredible to demonize this guy, to continue your thread that he's a rotten guy, when right. he's been so open and honest and giving, you realize, yes, the the demon is the media. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I hear you because when I saw that, that someone was out of the whole two hour, I thought the two hour interview was so phenomenal that people would say, oh, my God. Ben Affleck's this deep guy. I thought the media would say, geez, the guy really gave some we good life lessons yeah. about sobriety. The kids should listen to, everyone should listen to this. And, um, no, this one little comment that he made that uh, he felt trapped in his marriage, which is, by the way, I can guarantee you the guy who writes the article, if he was divorced, might have felt trapped or some similar feeling that I don't want to betray my marriage, but it looks like I'm going to have to. And so, uh, you know, it's weird to because in the worst way, I hope somehow Ben Affleck knows that I really sincerely thought that this guy did a, a great service yesterday to my audience and and uh, was just great. And there is no way you could listen to those two hours and not say, geez, this guy's keeping it real. I mean, you know, he's not some well-rehearsed guy talking about. Yeah, hey, I'm a great dad. I'm a great this. I'm a great dad. No, I have no problems, and uh, I hope I win the Academy Award. He when he when he said on the air yesterday, he goes, uh, "You know what, man? Fuck it. I wanted that Academy Award. I really, really wanted. I went out. I kissed babies. I kissed old ladies. I kissed people's asses, and I didn't get that nomination. That, you know, that's fucking honest. And so, and then he tells you he had to go out that night." And face every reporter on that red carpet saying, you got snubbed. Yeah. And he knows he can come off sounding like an asshole because everyone's saying, yeah, you're a big movie star. So what? Why, why, why? You didn't get nominated. But he didn't care. He was just like, hey, this, this is everything to me. And it, and it fucking, it hurt. I, I just loved it. Loved him. Yeah. And, uh, and you know what? He felt trapped in his marriage and his way of dealing with it was he drank. That ain't him blaming his wife for his drinking. 
He's saying, I didn't know what to do with myself. I had to figure all this out. And, and man, God bless him for saying it. So thanks, Nick. JT, you're on the air. Go ahead in South Carolina. Hey, Howard. Uh, first of all, Merry Christmas. You, Robin, Fred, everybody there. Um, I was really touched and moved. I just want to reiterate what the other caller said. I, I come to work at 430 in the morning, and I just re-listened to the whole interview again. That guy is just an open book, man. It, it, I feel that some of your best interviews are when you let the you let the guest take the driver's seat and you just sit back and you co-pilot and you coast and you add in what you need to add in. But I thought that what he had to say about addiction, I'm a recovering addict. I've been uh, sober for 13 years. And I think that what he had to say uh, really shed a light on what the program is doing for people. You know, and uh, try to destigmatize what how people feel about addicts and everything. And I just I just wanted to tell you that interview was awesome, man. I just uh, I really liked it. It really touched me. And uh, you know, great job. Thank you for saying that, JT. Because uh, first of all, JT, I should tell my audience is calling in from the moon. That is why his connection sounds oh, this way. It's so very staticky. That's moon. So, yeah. Uh, J- so, so. JT yeah, is an astronaut. It's okay. Uh, listen, when you call from the moon, yeah, we expect a little technical difficulty. Um, I wanted to speak, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to speak, I, I, I spoke to you earlier in the year. I was the one that talked to Ronnie. You guys were trying to help me out with my whole limp noodle situation with my wife. Right. Uh, we spoke uh, a couple of times. But, uh, yeah, well, I'm actually glad. I'm glad you called in. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I hear you. And uh, Ben Affleck, nothing but praise for this guy. And and uh, I appreciate it. Next time, don't call in on a ham radio. Call in on a regular telephone. Okay, JT? Thank you. All right, buddy. Uh, you, you, you thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I was going to say when I heard JT's connection. You know, JT, that, that was a good call. It's a shame that some of our listeners uh, just don't have the right connection, but uh, I don't know why in this day and age, because the cell phones, the digital quality is phenomenal. But uh, yeah, I thought for we some had reason, perfected the phone, but apparently JT is coming to us from the past. <laughs> funny you say that. I was going to tell you, Robin, that JT actually was calling from the dead. He, um, <laughs> What happened was he died five years ago ah. and a telephone wire landed on his grave. A telephone wire landed on his grave. And he was able to call us from the beyond. <laughs> that is oh, it was even that further than the moon. It was the beyond. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, you mentioned the name Neil Young. You, you listen, you guys know, anybody who's a listener of this show, there's a couple of musicians that blow my mind. And, you know, I was thinking about Neil Young last night, and I realized that I don't want to talk too much about Neil Young because when we get him on, we'll talk to him. Yeah. But uh, you know how excited I get. If it's Paul McCartney, Neil Young, and there's a couple other musicians that really touched me, I was all of a sudden I had this uh, thought. I owned the album when I was a kid. Now I think the album uh, everybody knows this is nowhere came out in 1960. Fuck, I want to say 1969. John, correct me on that if I'm wrong. Did everybody knows this is nowhere come out in 1969? I'm guessing you are cor- you are correct. 1969. Oh, okay. well, that's rare. So, I in 1969. Now, Robin, you're really good at math. I was born 1954, so 64 is 10. 
I must have been close to 15 years old. I'm going to give you a wild You're giving a ballpark, right? You didn't I'm giving you a ballpark. <laughs> well, I did. I, a 54 suits for 10 years. I know that right off the bat. And then <laughs> to get the 69, I know it's another five. The, the tricky part is adding the 10 and the five. You got to remember 10 and five. So I was 15 years old. That's how you do that kind of math. People are amazed how yes, quickly children. I can compute. This is the math you should be doing. Kids, this is the way you compute. This is the way you use your mind to do math. I'm a bit of a math genius. The way I got to 15 years old. So I was 15 Very years quickly, old. quickly. Pretty quick. I got it. Yeah. It took me like three minutes and I got there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, at 15 years old, I, I didn't have any money. I mean, my, my father made a living. Uh, we just didn't have a lot of money. We lived in a shitty fucking neighborhood. Did you get an allowance by any chance? I want to say yes, like maybe 50 cents or something. I mean, who knows? I mean, something ridiculously low. You know, my parents had an unrealistic uh, view of money. Like, you know, like 50 cents. I, I couldn't even buy cigarettes. What did you do you with know? that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't buy weed. <laughs> Imagine being 15. You have no money for weed. What a loser. <laughs> So uh, I I remember I had the album. Now, I didn't have a big album collection. So if I bought an album, that means I had to save for like months. I had the album. Everybody knows this is nowhere. I think I even had it before the album Deja Vu came out. So this is when wow. Neil Young was with Crazy Horse in 1969 before he joined Crosby, Stills, and Nash. This album, fuck, I must listen to this album. Everybody knows this is nowhere. Uh, maybe a hundred thousand times. I remember the cover. I remember Neil on the cover with his dog. I assumed it was his dog. He's standing there. He's got his hand on a tree. I mean, everything about this guy was so meaningful to me because I only, I didn't have 57,000 albums. I had an album, maybe five, but uh, Neil Young. And I can't remember how I even learned about Neil Young. How did I know to buy that album? What was what even triggered me getting this album? Everybody knows this is nowhere. But I had this album and I went out to a record store and bought it. And Jesus Christ, I tell you, that album was everything to me. It just was the best. Oh, uh, Cinnamon Girl was on there. And it was mind blowing. It, it was freewheeling. How long is that track? It's like. I don't even know, but it's like, I want to, it's so brilliant, the music, the singing, I don't know who the cinnamon girl is, I, I, Jesus, I didn't have a girl, not a little, this is a great risk, cinnamon girl, life would be happy the rest of my life with the cinnamon girl, (laughs) second time I ever got laid in my life, I should tell Neil, I, I don't want to make it about me when I'm talking to Neil, but gotta tell him i i put on southern man this chick fucking hated me we <laughs> fucked horribly southern man is not a song to fuck to i'm sure you Neil have the worst agree. taste in fucking music <laughs> oh my god you don't want to fuck me i you know to this day i don't put music on when i fuck beth i fuck her sans music because i know i'll make the wrong choice and send her out of the room yeah because i remember one of the others was uh i shot the sheriff or something no, no, no. I never fucked anyone that I shot the sheriff. That's a really bad idea. <laughs>
First of all, that song sucks for me. I'm not a big I shot the sheriff guy. Um, I don't know. You anyway. told me something. I was like, how could you think that would get you laid? But that's that album means so. So when I'm talking to Neil Young, man, I'm going to I'm going into the weeds with this guy. I. Oh, my God. Don't let it bring you down. It's only castles burning. Find someone who's yearning. I think that's okay. And you will. <laughs> he wrote that. <laughs> oh, what a man. What a man. Great music. No, you know what it was? I know what it was. It wasn't Southern Man I fucked that girl to. It was Down by the River. I shot my baby. I shot my baby. Yeah. This, I, I fucked a girl to this. And I was, new, I was brand new to fucking. I was head deep in her pussy when I was... What was to think when this lyric came <laughs> I don't know. But we drank and we smoked weed and she was depressed and she was like, this was horrible. She said, drive me home. And I, I, I think I could have fallen in love easily with this girl. She was down by the river. I shot listening to your favorite song, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'll put some music on. I was like seducing her and it was like down by the river. I shot, I shot my load down by the river. And, and down by the river runs for over nine minutes is this song. And listen to this. It's magnificent. It's listen, incredible. Just listen to this. I love this. Song. It's an incredible. It's incredible. I can tell you firsthand, nothing good happens down by the river. <laughs> Do not fuck anyone near a river. And this girl was so hot. I know what you're thinking. Bullshit. One of the hottest girls I've ever met in my life. For some freaky reason, she thought I was cool. Because she went to a different school. She didn't know what a loser I was at my school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, we should close the deal fast. Because if she gets word from a neighboring town that I'm a dude, <laughs> it's word over. Can get out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we fucked. I probably ruined Neil Young for her. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah, you act like neil young didn't ever write a love song i shot my baby <laughs> i don't know man i was i was nervous hello, oh girl in the sand hello cowgirl in the sand command what a song can i stay here for a while Sweet, sweet smile. Hold enough to. This, you know what it is? I put the side of the album on, and it happened to fall on, on, uh, uh, you know, down by the river. Like in other words, I could have easily fucked to this song. But it wasn't, you know. Jeez. Some of the greatest songs ever written. Anyway, he's going to be in. I got to tell him I fucked a girl, too, down by the river. 
Uh, he doesn't want to hear about it. Yeah, why are you going to bum him out? Girl, got yeah, he's going to be like, you know what? Me home. <laughs> yeah. He probably would say, you know, when I wrote it, I wasn't thinking about people, you know, a teenage boy fucking a girl, uh, <laughs> you know, and all in all in his own defense. Yeah, but anybody would have known not to put that song on for it. When Neil was in here the last time, he told us he wrote Cinnamon Girl, Down by the River, and Cowgirl in the Sand. When he was laid up with 103 fever, he was hallucinating. And I'm wow. like, man, that is a story and a half. And then uh, what else did I know? Neil Young and Crazy Horse had only been together for six or seven days when they when they wrote this when they when they recorded the song Down by the River. They they had very little knowledge of one another as musicians, but they just well, did it. he had played with them. They were in a band called the Rockets, and uh, they used to play together and hang out. He hung out with them more than he hung out with Bu uh, Buffalo Springfield. Was that the or what was that yep. band he was with? And uh, Buffalo Springfield and when, was the was the first well, band that Neil Young was with. You know, right. in terms and of so he real said success. he used to hang out with the Rockets more than uh, Buffalo Springfield. So he knew them and he liked them. They were a great band. And then um, they, they became, became crazy, crazy horse. horse. Yeah. 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 You got it right. Look at you. Come over I here. I told you I listened to an interview with Neil. Lennon. Look at you. <laughs> Knowing about the Rockets. That's digging deep. The Rockets. Whenever I hear the name The Rockets, I, there was some band in Detroit. When I worked in Detroit, there was some band like called like something like The Rockets. And uh, I remember like in Detroit, they were a big deal. So they, I think they used to walk around like, you know, hey, we're Detroit's Rockets, man. Like, you know, like they were going to be the next big thing. Uh -huh. And I was just like, you know, these guys are a little too sure of themselves. They're thinking they're going to be the next big thing. Sure enough, they weren't. I was kind of secretly like laughing because I go, you know, don't assume just because you just because you got a little local fame. Don't you don't assume it's going to always translate to the big time. You know, you know, nothing shocked me more. You never know with people and you never know because you got to be nice to everyone when you see them coming up. I remember being in Detroit. I was a schlub and uh Billy Squire used to come by the radio station all the time. He wasn't big. He wasn't the famous Billy Squire at this point. He was a guy. He was a musician working his ass off, trying to get it together for a career. And Billy was always very nice to me. In fact, uh, I told you there was one time Billy, Billy was, I think, sleeping on the floor of my studio. What? I was working in a, the, the, in Detroit. We, I worked in a little crumply shitty house right on the main drag, right on the main road in Detroit, whatever they call that main road like Michigan Avenue or something. It was so many years ago, I don't even remember. But it was this fucking house right there in the middle of like a really shitty neighborhood. And the doors are wide open. Anybody could walk in. I had no security. Not, I was the only one. I opened the station up at 6 o'clock in the morning, you know. And I don't know. Billy Squire, every once in a while, would wander in. And I, I, I remember one time he was fucking exhausted. He had played all night. And he just laid down on the floor and went to sleep while I was doing the show. <laughs> I think I told the owner, I said, you know, this guy's sleeping on my floor. Like, nobody knew Billy Squire. You know, stroke me, stroke me hadn't come out yet. Right. And then um, and then he invited me down to one of his shows when he when stroke me became big. And I was like, holy fuck. Billy went from sleeping on my floor. Now his um, his his drummer, they had a ritual. 
Billy would stand backstage. Billy wore really tight T-shirts on stage. Billy yeah. would just lift his arms up. He'd be walking around without a shirt on. He'd lift his arms up into the air. And the drummer walks over with the T-shirt pulled wide, slides it over Billy, and then Billy's like, I'm in my T-shirt. Like, it was a, a thing. Like, and I went, holy fuck. This guy went from sleeping on my floor to his drummer's now holding his T-shirt so he can yeah, get dressed before the show. <laughs> so the fucking T-shirt doesn't wrinkle. I go, this is fucking rock and roll. And I was happy for him, he made it. He was always nice to me. Uh, Billy Squire. I told you I ran out, or I ran into him out here where I live. He, um, he and his wife have a house somewhere out here. Yeah, you said that a while back. Mm, yeah. We, we said a quick hello and everything, but many, many years ago, 1980 something, I was, uh, you know, broadcasting out of this shithole in Detroit. And a lot of these bands, a lot of these rock bands were, um, like they, they all of a sudden they 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 come in and they just kind of hang, sleep, you know, fuck around in this old house. Get your records played. Yeah, that was crazy Back in those days. Anyway, yeah, shit. I remember sitting there and Van Halen was being interviewed by one of the jocks, and right out on our lawn, all these girls were out there. They were all dressed like with the stockings with the line going up the back of the stockings because right. David Lee Roth said he. Yeah, he see he liked the seam in the stockings and the song, and they all wore it, and all these girls are out there, and I'm like, motherfucker, and Journey would be in there hanging out. It was crazy times. I mean, I, I was doing a radio show one time. I invited in a bunch of bikers, you know, tough guys who were, you know, bikers in bike gangs, and I'm interviewing them. Like, I thought it would be funny to have the guys in and really talk real shit on the air, and they, they took out a ton of blow, and they start to, and I go, oh, fuck. <laughs> These guys are doing blow. I can't have them do, you know, it's a radio station licensed by the government. They, they'll shut your ass down and take away the license if any illegal drugs are. And I'm like, excuse me, sirs. I, I went to commercial. Uh, can you please not do any blow? They're like, fuck you, you know. <laughs> they, they yeah, you open guys. the door. It's like a vampire, you know, like you invite yeah, the yeah. vampire in. He's not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they were not. They were, they were like, fuck <laughs> you. And they did their blow. I mean, I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't want them to beat me up. I hadn't took enough beatings. <laughs> I should have put that in my movie. I put a lot of scenes in that movie that never made it in. I wonder where those scenes are. We had to cut most of Hartford radio. This stuff I cut in Hartford before I met you, Robin. Yeah. I put, I did a whole thing about me, um, staying in a hotel and there were some hookers arguing next door while I just got hired. That's where they put me up and then they shot a hole through the wall with a gun. Oof. While, right through my wall. And I, I, we shot, we filmed it. We filmed all these scenes that were pretty you funny. Never told I don't me know. Somebody but, was shooting next to yeah, her. <laughs> Yeah, they shot a hole through the wall. They were screaming and yelling. It was uh, it was called the nice hotel was place. on the in, in, in Hartford. I don't know what it's like now, but it was called the Berlin Turnpike. And you could get a hotel room for like, I don't know, for like $60 for the week. Oh, good. so they, you know, I, I said to the owner of the radio station, you got to put me up. I don't have a place to live yet. I don't have any money. You're paying me $200 a week or something. I don't have a dime. He goes. All right, all right. We have a trade deal with a hotel. I'll put you up. I thought I was going to go to like a, I don't know, like a like a fucking normal hotel. Yeah, Holiday Inn. 
Holiday Inn. And there was a Holiday Inn in Hartford, but it probably cost $60 a night. I'm on the Berlin Turnpike with a bunch of hookers who were, you know, renting out rooms for an hour. You're in the no-tell motel. Yeah, and I'm supposed, and I'm, I'm starting a new job. Jesus. So we, we shot a bunch of that stuff, but, uh, you know, you couldn't put everything in. It's like what Ben Affleck was saying about editing. You know, you got to just, you got to lose some material. Not that it wasn't good when we shot it. No, but it was like, here's the story. You know, like yeah. in the editing room, you discover what the story is. But we spent quite a bit of time because I was on the set and then the, the gun goes off and then I, I dive under a table. <laughs> I remember shooting it. Ugh. Oh, there's Ralphie boy. What do you? Hey, Ralphie, what's up? Hey now, she do get a director's cut of that going, man. That uh, yeah, yeah, that, it's all right. It's you know we've had enough private parts. The we, director uh, did cut it. <laughs> the hey, director cut it right onto it. the floor. And let me tell you something, <laughs> Betty Thomas, Ivan Reitman, those people knew what to cut. Uh, if they cut it, there was a reason. This director's cut stuff is fucking nonsense. I'm telling you. Well, speaking of directors, I got to say something about a couple of things about Ben Affleck. I, you know, I was thinking earlier this week, who was the best guest of the year? Who'd have known it was going to be one of the last guests of the year? I thought he was amazing. I hung on his every word. I mean, he yep. he covered everything. I mean, you guys talked about the uh, the introspective stuff, and you know, I'll go all that was great. But also, like you know, I feel about TV and movies like you feel about music. And when he's talking about the editing process and the writing and how he came up with Matt Damon and what he was thinking and the acting and we wanted to do this, I mean, it was just, I mean, nonstop. I can't wait to listen back to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Just great. Yeah, he's, he's, that's why That's why when I heard the one comment, you know, I was almost waiting, I was hoping that somebody would write dude, something like, hey, dude, damn, dude. Ben Affleck, that guy keeps it real. But, you know, the takeaway was, Oh, he blames his ex-wife for his drinking because he felt trapped in his marriage. Well, fuck, that's about the most honest, raw thing you could say. I, I talked to tons of people who have been in bad relationships or and stayed in too long because they felt trapped. They felt Dude, so, as if it, it, they couldn't leave. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because I Googled Ben Affleck news because I'm expecting the same thing as you. People like he revealed yeah. a lot of interesting stuff. And I see this one headline. Ben Affleck's cruelty knows no limits after terrible Jennifer Gardner <laughs> insult. I mean, like, it's what? not an insult to her. It? I know it, it drives it drives me crazy. That's oh, why I called yeah. him. And I said, you you are you were phenomenal. And. Anyone who listens to that interview will say the guy was phenomenal. He was not good. He was phenomenal. He's a he's a That's very you can fucking never, smart guy. Ever read those tabloids? They're no. only looking to tear somebody well, apart. I mean, they make just imagine like that's your life, job for a living. Yeah, they made him sound like ISIS. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's a terror. It's just crazy, and I felt so bad. But uh, all right, Rafi, I hear you. Thank you. Yeah, that's Ralph Sorrell, everyone. Thanks. All right. Now Ralphie. Ralph can make a movie. He learned everything. You know what? He's probably doing that. Although he'll probably, you know, if you say, Ralph, go make a movie now that you know everything, he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to do it, but not now. I, I want to. <laughs> yeah. I've got a lot I, of projects. Yeah. yeah I, I'm kind of busy now to make a movie. <laughs> Divorce, it means the marriage is bad, not the people involved in it. You know, and not everybody, you know, everybody get off your fucking high horse. Try to, try to compliment someone when they're honest and real. That's, 
But that's not interesting. Um, as long as I'm reading you, the fans will see Ben Affleck. We talked about that. The, the legendary Beetlejuice showed up yesterday, and you know, what did people say about the return of Beetlejuice? First, and one last thing about Ben Affleck, he had to follow Beetlejuice, and that ain't easy. And, no. uh, and you know, he, he did it. You know, like he was ready. He said, "You know what? I've got to, I've got to lay it down." <laughs> uh, the legendary Beetlejuice joined us yesterday after a five-year hiatus. I was thrilled. He was uh, live on Zoom with his manager, Bobby, who is the genius behind Beetlejuice, of course. Uh, everyone knows Bobby. Be and born. Bobby, <laughs> be, be, you know, the, the projects Bobby gets involved with, poor Beetlejuice. Uh, it's just, it, it, Beat is way ahead of the curve. Thanks, oh, Bobby. Oh, he's on it. Right there at the edge it, of the envelope. The dynamic between Bobby and Beetlejuice is really, truly amazing. And uh, uh, anyway, they were live on Zoom, Bobby and Beetlejuice, from a hotel room in Georgia. And Beat, uh, geez, Beat always delivers. Always, as you know. What, you know, what's been going on for five years? We haven't seen you in so long. <laughs> eating pussy, five years. Five years oh, of eating pussy. you some pussy? <laughs> yeah. Beat five is years, cruel bitches. You know, B, you even fucked my wife, right? You said that one time you fucked uh, Beth. Yeah. Yeah. About 10 years ago. 10 years ago. That's right. (laughs) And he was right, actually. He's amazing. Pete also spoke about his marriage to Jennifer Garner and said uh, he felt trapped. (laughs) Did that make the tabloids? No. No one cared about B. (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, uh, Beat came back. Uh, let's see, Bobo tweeted, Wow, amazing to hear the greatest whack packer live on the air. Awesome. Thank you, Howard. And the entire staff for making it possible. I learned that Beetlejuice, we had a meeting last week, and I, I, all of a sudden Gary says to me, Hey, Beat, Beetlejuice, you want him on the I said, Do I want him on the air? Get him on as soon as possible. What day can People he be? Clamoring. Yeah, exactly. And uh, sure enough, we got word Beat wanted to promote. You know, beat pretty much, they keep them locked down. But I guess the family was so excited about this new, uh, this this cryptocurrency that Beatles involved in that they felt, okay, let's get him out and there. And the NFT, and I mean, he's in it all, you know. He's in it all. And, you know, I thought for so long, why why is beat not on the show anymore? Five long years. Is this the right move for beat to stay away from the public? And, you know, sure enough, the guy not only looked great, but... I realized the demand, what a brilliant businessman, the demand beat built up by disappearing for five years. The the excitement was, it was palpable, palpable. That's what they say. Yeah, you could feel it. It was palpable. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) having Beetlejuice back on after five years is the true definition of a Christmas miracle. Thank you, guys. He's still as bad as can. Ain't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? It is so great. Hello, my name is Pretty Juice. Jenga Beat, everybody. I live Jenga Beat, Pretty Juice. Jenga Beat, Pretty Juice. Jenga Beat, Pretty Juice. Whoa. Hey, I'm the boss. Motherfucker. Can you ride with the Pretty Juice, baby? Come on. And I say, Jenga Beat, Pretty Juice. Jenga, Jenga Beat, Pretty Juice. Bitches with the money. Oh, oh yeah. I wish you a Merry Christmas. Shit. Yeah, I've been doing that, you cocksucker. Beetlejuice's return this morning is bigger than when Michael Jordan came back to the NBA. The king of all whack packers has returned to claim his throne, and boy did he ever with a with a an hour of just raw honesty from Beetlejuice. 
about all the pussy he's getting. He's even fucking a 70-year-old. 75. You're a woman. 75. He's fucking a 75-year-old woman. And he even revealed that his own mother is 10 years older than himself. (laughs) Finally, the return of Beetlejuice. I'm on the West Coast, and I'm so glad I woke up early to experience this monumental moment live. I couldn't stop laughing. Thank you so much for making my morning. Uh, One fan even complimented me and said, the reason, Howard, you are brilliant is you interview Beetlejuice the same way you interview Paul McCartney. Well, (laughs) hey, (laughs) I don't know if that's brilliant. Two legends. By the way, um, the Beat is smart to come on the show because Beatcoin, which is what uh, Beetle was promoting, Beatcoin is now trading at 37.9 cents today. Are you kidding? I am not kidding. If you had bought... What was it trading at yesterday? Um, it was in the. It was like twenty seven at the end of the show. Bitcoin is trading at thirty. It was under thirty cents yesterday, so it's now thirty seven point nine. Robin, you claim to be some sort of financial genius. Why didn't you buy Bitcoin and make yourself a? <laughs> you know, you, you, this it, crypto is so complicated, Howard. I don't even know how to get a hold of it. <laughs> how is it that Beetlejuice and Bobby understand it and you don't? But uh, here. It was it, when Beetle was on our show. It was twenty eight cents. Now it's thirty seven point nine. That's Beat a nine coin. point rise. I understand. Uh, this is exciting. Beetle, I think, is ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange today. If uh, I have it right, <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I don't know what Bitcoin is. I don't understand it. But all I know is it's worth more money today than it was yesterday. That's and how that you if make you, money. Yeah, when your money gets is worth more than it was yesterday. Why is it you love Beetlejuice so much, and yet you didn't buy? I never invest in any of his products. I'm going to say something now, and it's probably unpopular to say around here. But 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 Be- Bitcoin put Sirius XM stock to shame yesterday. <laughs> I don't understand. Ah, oh, these kids, these newfangled ideas. Shame. Uh, oh, <laughs> people also wrote in about the 10th anniversary of Ronnie's poem called Winter. We celebrated uh, by Ronnie did a rewrite of Winter and we had JD back on yesterday to read it. Howard, I can't believe it's been 10 years since JD read Ronnie's poem Winter on the show. Time flies just as ridiculous now as it was then. You're here. I don't know which is funnier about the Winter poem. Ronnie writing it or J.D. reading it. They are like the dopey duo of poetry. (laughs) Howard, Ronnie is a horrible poet and J.D. reads terribly. A perfect combination. They should take it to a real poetry slam. I love it. Oh, I could. Oh, please. Let's do that. (laughs) That's a good idea. Hey, guys, let's do it. Go to one of these wacky poetry slams and let J.D. get up and read Ronnie's poem. Let's just hear the audience. So there you go. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Hmm. It's the holidays, and I'm just thinking. I, I'm actually caught up in thought right now, thinking about how lucky I feel that we had Billie Eilish and Ben Affleck. And then we get we get uh, Neil Young on today. Jeez, that's that's awfully that's pretty fucking awesome to tell you the truth. And you Absolutely. know, with the holiday, uh, hold on, Robin. I'm being interrupted, unfortunately. Oh. Was, Oh, it's our own announcer. I don't mind. George Takei. George, uh, go ahead. What do you want to say this holiday season? 
Merry Christmas, Howard and Robin. Or as we say in Japanese, Merry Christmas to Oh. <laughs> wow. Hey, there's uh, George, many by the way. International ways of saying Merry Christmas. I'm just so excited for the holidays. <laughs> I want to say something to you. When you were talking to Beetlejuice yesterday and the two of you started conversing in Japanese, it was one of my favorite moments ever on the show. I <laughs> love the way the two of you it were talking. It was a proud moment of mine as well, uh, most especially because Brad and I are huge fans of Beetlejuice, and we know that his talents are, are unbounded. He has a depth of knowledge that is still untapped, and we need to unleash that power. Wow. Wow. Brad! So... Brad, you better not be up there eating Santa's milk and cookies. <laughs> His belly's getting bigger than Santa's. You know, George, I want to say something during the holiday spirit. I'm very grateful for you being on the show, and I, and I love that you're our announcer, and I love that you are on Star Trek, and I love when you talk about uh, William Shatner and all this stuff. But I'm going to say something. You should make a New Year's resolution. I know it bums you out that Brad has gotten fat. I know that sexually you'd rather have Brad be in good shape, but my God, you know, the way you pick on him for his belly, it's terrible. You know, that that's true, and I apologize, uh, not just uh, to you, but to Brad. I do love Brad, and you know, Brad and I, we celebrate and we joke with each other. In fact, during the holidays, we coat our balls in powdered sugar and dip <laughs> them in hot cocoa. We call it marshmallow balls. We even sing marshmallow balls, marshmallow balls, dip them in cocoa, slurp it up, slap my butt, and in your mouth meat goes, oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love when you sing holiday songs. Uh, listen, uh, George, Merry Christmas. Thank you. And uh, Merry and, Christmas. Uh, and if you want to celebrate the holiday cheer, I highly suggest that you purchase the Allegiance DVD box set. It's a <laughs> Available now at my website. <laughs> well, George's allegiance uh, uh, was recorded on the big screen, and it's uh, it's it's region free. Howard, you can play it anywhere on any DVD player. In fact, uh, countries all over the world can enjoy it. Uh, no one is uh, listening to DVDs. No one's uh, listening. Yeah. So give my love to Brad, will you? Okay, I, I yeah. will. Brad, Howard loves Has you. He heard of Brad? Screaming? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Brad doesn't want to tell it. <laughs> there you go. Ah, look who it is, our old friend Jeff Jarvis. Jeff, uh, I'll tell you who Jeff is. Jeff is a guy who is a critic. Was a, Are you still considered a critic? Or, or I mean, he? I first read Jeff Jarvis's column in TV Guide 100 yeah. years ago. That's he was I a young guy. with you. Yeah, and uh, we always... Uh, Always liked his column. It was good. Bright guy, Jeff Jarvis. So anyway, what's up? That's where I that's where I said you were greater than the sum of your farts. Yeah, that was a good line. Uh but yeah, what are you doing fine. now? I like it still. What are you doing now? I I teach at uh, the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. Oh no kidding. So that must you must yeah. be like the big deal You're professor, professor there. Jarvis. Because you Professor Jarvis been doing that for fifteen years. So you must be a big deal to the students because you actually had a job. I can't, you know, when I went to college, I was a journalism minor and a broadcast major. 
And I got to say, 99% of the professors had actually never worked at anything. I only had one guy who actually was a um, columnist for the Boston Globe, Mm -hmm. Jeremiah P. Murphy. He was the journalism uh, guy who taught me. And I remember thinking, wow, this guy actually works for the Boston Globe. Like, he's the real deal. Like, these other guys I got, none of them were on the radio. None of them. I don't know who the fuck they were teaching me over there at that school. Now, I, I, I mean, and I went, well, I could, and this guy was great. The guy who actually worked in the business, he was a no bullshit guy. He's, he got us in that class. He says, you little fuckers want to be, he didn't say little fuckers, but that's what we were. He goes, you guys want to work for a newspaper? And we were handing in, you know, all kinds of like articles with our thoughts. He goes, right. never mind all this. You sit here and write an obituary. Find someone who died. Because the only way you're going to get a job on a newspaper being a beginner is writing the obituaries. They give that to, you know, you schlubs. And well, he, he and knew he had because he had actually gone out there and made his way yep. in journalism. So when you walk in the classroom, so these are, kids, they must go like fucking wild. Like you actually worked in well, journalism. Yeah, some of them were most impressed with the fact that you picked up my phone calls, honest to God. <laughs> okay, we'll keep that going then. So, by, by the way, by the way, I, I, a few years ago, I actually talked to BU about the job of dean of the comm school. I didn't. I, I pulled out of the, the talks, but when I was up there, I said the first job has to be to get it renamed the Howard Stern School, school of Communication. Well, no wonder they didn't hire you. You out of your fucking mind? <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? It wasn't. I do popular with everybody. I got to admit. I, uh, I'm, I'm involved with Boston University. I, I really like that college, and uh, I felt, so I'm involved in some of their programs, you know, being an alumni. But I do it. Uh, an alumnus. Alumnus. Believe me. They, but these fucking guys, they, I hear from the dean. I hear from this one. I say, guys, stop writing me letters. The best thing you could do is just leave <laughs> me the fuck alone. You want to name the radio station after yourself. You could do that. You could, you know, you give money. to. I said, no, 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 no. Here's what I want to do. Just these kids you know what i mean you just you gotta you gotta play it low key i don't want to be bothered so i could imagine when he went in for a job interview and they told him renamed the school of communications the howard stern school <laughs> they probably threw him right out of there like, get on insane. it now uh well we already renamed our school after craig newmark so it's too late for that but i can i can i can name the uh you know a, a, a restroom after you or something in my school if you like there you go go ahead be my guest there we are all right. Yeah, we well, uh, once had a rest area, and that was taken away. <laughs> yeah, which is wrong. That's that's really wrong. I got they so hosed on that deal. You know, I was on a radio, and uh, a woman named Christy Todd Whitman was running for governor. And I said to her, "I am Christy." I'm, she asked for my endorsement because she knew yeah. we had a lot of listeners who would, you know, vote in a block, the Howard Stern vote. They called it. <laughs> I said, Christy. You've been nice enough to call in. I asked for one thing. I'll get my listeners to vote for you, but we want a fucking rest stop that says the Howard Stern rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike. Could you imagine? Like, that's all I wanted. I was upfront about it. Most people get political gifts, let's say, and favors. I didn't want any secrecy. I said, all I'm looking for out of this is a bathroom rest stop. Well... She made good on it. I'll give her that. But I felt a little bit hosed when I found out it was the shittiest rest stop on the fucking turnpike. <laughs> like people were afraid. What, what I remember. I don't remember. But first of all, I didn't get one of those big green signs up that looked like the state. She she was so afraid of the state putting any money in on anything named Howard Stern that she put up a, her own sign with her own money. 
<laughs> and it was a little shitty sign. I still have the sign, by the way. It's in my bathroom in Manhattan. And it says Howard Stern Rest Stop. And it looks like a 12-year-old made this sign. <laughs> and it's so small. It's such a ripoff. You can't and even then, find it if you were at the rest stop. You probably would miss it. And then my uh, fans wrote me and said, Howard, no offense, your rest stop is so bad that the only guys who go there are a couple of like gay truckers who want to blow each other. It's like known as like this place you go if you want to, you know, kind of on the QT, get a blowjob from another dude. I go, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, can't people go shit and piss there? You go, yeah, but it's like really weird going in there because it's like, you know, going into an orgy. Ooh. I said, really? He goes, yeah, like you wouldn't bring your kids there to take a dump. Like you'd rather, but she won. Yeah, well, she won. She won, I, I, she won, and and I felt the rest stop was a bit of a fucking kind of like a compromise. And it doesn't exist anymore. It didn't even last throughout her yeah. administration. I mean, how do you how do you not have the? I mean, a rest stop doesn't go away. The, this is the only rest stop that they took away. I mean, this rest stop was so run down. I'd rather shit in the woods. I, you know what I mean, uh, honey? Just pull over. I'm gonna pull my pants down and take a dump. And I'll wipe yeah, myself with leave. Don't stop at that rest stop. Yeah, don't go there. <laughs> Fuck. Ah, oh, you would never shit at this rest stop. But all right, look, she did make good on it, and you know, she explained to me, I'm getting a lot of grief. But I said, grief, you're in the fucking office because of me. I threw in with you. I don't even know what if you only stand Hillary for. Clinton had been smart enough to do what she did, the world would be different today. I even come on like, your show. I didn't even know what. Christie was for or I didn't right. ask I didn't want to bother the woman I even said to my audience listen we're getting a rest stop that's credibility who cares what she's for as far as I know she's not like trying to blow up the world she doesn't seem like a crazy person yeah and she's a nice woman <laughs> kind of attractive honestly big titties right Robin I read from I what I remember, remember. you I remember, remember. <laughs> <laughs> but uh that was the worst. I think COVID-19 started at that rest stop. They say it was in China. I don't believe it. It wasn't a wet market in China. <laughs> no, people were eating bats in that fucking bathroom. <laughs> it was gross. <laughs> Listeners wrote me. I was so dejected. Look, hey, man, I don't want to burst your bubble. I go, oh, they're just busting my balls. Well, sure enough, I sent out a few people to do some recon. Hey, they were right. They go, dude, it's a bad scene in there. It's a bad scene. Anyway, oh, hey Jeff, uh, I called. Yeah. I called to give you praise from from elsewhere. I turn. I wake up late. Uh, I was I was teaching last night. I turn on the TV before I turn you on, and there's Morning Joe praising you to the hilt. The entire really? table. The entire table. Everybody, you got to get the, the the audio of this. Everybody around the table. Morning Joe is slapping the table on the New York Post. Saying you're the best interviewer alive, uh, I turned on a little late. I, on, on, I asked on Twitter what it was, and it was started with the Affleck interview, which was phenomenal, amazing. And so around the table, everybody except I think Mika, um, who looked a little befuddled, uh, everybody said you are the best. They all wow. uh, Willie Geist grew up listening to you, and now he listens to you. And he mentioned chapter and verse from your interviews. Al Sharpton. Uh, said you do great work. Peter wow. Baker, I think it was Peter Baker from the New York Times, uh, said that when they were working on the book on Donald Trump, 
they went back and listened to all of your Trump interviews, and he said they told us everything we needed to know about what would happen. It was phenomenal. Wow. You get the praise that you deserve, Your Highness. It was it was great. And, and yesterday's interview Whoa. with Affleck was phenomenal too. It was. Just I got to check that. I'm a big morning yeah, Joe you're a big guy. Fan. I am a big fan. Um, I disagree with Joe about a lot of stuff, but here, man, I was in complete agreement. It was a beautiful moment for the recognition that you deserve. I like Joe. I watch that show when I'm not on the air. Obviously, he I can't watch it on the air. And, and I record plays it. it back. Yeah, I do. I I'll like so. I do have that on uh, tape. Uh, so you know, tape, not tape, but digital. Well, yeah, that, oh, that's oh, that's kind of nice to hear, man. That's really cool. I yeah, always so like the guy. Know, and, and I, I like the team he's got. I like uh, Mika. Willie. I like the whole thing. Willie Fistergash. <laughs> And the man just I always, you, what are you doing? Willie, no, Sister I, I know, I really like all of them. I like the guy who from the New York Times is on there. Um, you, Zasso. He does the early morning uh, wake-up show. I can't think of his name. He's good. Well, no, he, now, he's, he was the AP, now he's Politico. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah all those yeah, guys, yeah. They're, they're excellent. They're spot-on, and uh, Joe himself is a fucking fantastic communicator, so that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Thanks, Jeff. That, that, that really is... I'm going to actually go good listen to know. Now. Thank you. Good to know. Yeah. Good news. Cool. What, a, what a great. Can I ask you one question, Howard? Because I yeah. teach journalism. Uh, the Affleck interview was amazing. I was trying to think about what made it so amazing. And I, and, I, and I thought about the need for your skill of listening and concentrating. You know, I was, years ago when I was on radio, I watched, I watched radio guys kind of just hey, ignore what, what, what was on the air and fill it up. But you had to listen carefully. Is that what makes the interviews special? Well, first of all, let's let's call it the way it is. Affleck's a really smart guy. And he's an honest guy. There's no pretense in what he said. He wasn't sitting there calculating everything he said. He he spoke from his no, heart. That's, that's, that's what was amazing. Yep. That's what was amazing. The fact is that um, all I had to do is shut up and listen to what the man had to say. And, and, and certainly respond or not respond, but, but he was, no, that's bullshit. You had, you, you gained his trust. You well, okay. Trust he trusted me without exploiting I, him. You didn't exploit him. You didn't extract, but you put him in a position where it was two guys talking and he was telling you his life. He felt listened to because uh, most shows, well, listen, I'm glad he, uh, Jeff, thank you. I'm going to move on. I, I, let's leave it at that. Jeff. <laughs> right. Uh, but but uh, I, 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 I mean, you, thank you. 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 I feel you, embarrassed. That's what I feel. But thank you for the praise. I do, Jeff. All right. Everybody's I, I got to go. you today. Everybody have a yeah, great yeah, Neil Young oh. interview. Can't wait. Thank you. Right. Can't wait. Me too. Bye bye. I get embarrassed by that. I do. Well, again, you uh, you should let people say that you're doing a good job or. That, you know, it's not all about Ben Affleck. And, and Jarvis is absolutely right, Jeff Jarvis, that you gained his trust. I just hope Ben Affleck had a good time. That's all I care he about. He did. He said he would come good. back and do it again and that he good. enjoyed it. And he wished every, was he the one that said that? No, I think somebody else said they wished every interview was like your interviews. But uh, you mm -hmm. could tell when he relaxed because he leaned back in the chair and he pulled out a cigarette. Can I and get then a little he bit really started to open up? Can I get a little political for two seconds? I just got to point this out. Okay. This guy, Rand Paul, is driving me fucking nuts. 
Senator oh. Rand Paul, can I just say something here? I, w- I was going to come on this at the air today and talk to you about uh, Donald Trump and Neil Young. Now, you're saying, what do they have in common? Neil Young, um, Donald Trump, when he first started running for president, would use the song, Keep on Rocking in the Free World. And Neil Young made him stop using it. And there's a tape on the Internet, and you should go watch it. Because after you watch this, I don't know how anybody could vote for Donald Trump. It's just so filled with, I wish I could do a 20-minute rap on this one speech of Donald Trump. He's talking impromptu about Neil Young. And he's clearly embarrassed that Neil Young does not want him to use this song. And so he he goes from, I don't know Neil Young, I do know Neil Young, uh, Neil Young, uh, ah, it's just background music. He, he put he wants to put him down, but he knows he looks silly if he puts him down. So he's putting him down, but he's not putting, you know, he's just a background singer, you know, kind of thing. And, and it's just arrogant and full of bullshit because all you can see is one man's insecurity. He's sitting there going, I wish Neil Young was my friend. Neil Young came to me for money and uh, he, he, one day he's kissing my ass, one day he's not. The whole thing is so bizarre that I don't know how any working man could take Donald Trump seriously as a representative for this country. And I was going to do a whole long talk on it. And I decided, fuck that. You know, I'm just not going to spend the morning talking about that, even though it's on my mind. And And I was up for an hour this morning telling you in my imagination about this video. And I was like, it's just, it's going to bore everyone to death. So I'm not going to sit there and talk to Neil Young about it. I'm not going to talk to Robin about it. I'm just going to shut my fucking mouth. And even with all the politics going on, everyone's so divided and so sure they know what's happening. But this guy, I got to say one thing about this Senator Rand Paul, and you probably heard it already, what a hypocrite this fucking guy is. This guy, all the time, if there, when there was a problem in Jersey, remember we had that hurricane? Mm-hmm. And we needed federal relief. What was it? Hurricane Sandy. 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 We needed uh, money to rebuild New Jersey. When I say we, I mean the country. New Jersey's part of this country, you see. And Rand Paul gets up there, do not give blah, blah, blah to New Jersey. Uh, we are in debt and blah, blah, blah. No, no relief for New Jersey. That's it. This guy from Kentucky, where... If you know anything from Kentucky, they got the worst health care in the country. This ain't me making this shit up. It's the truth. This guy's a doctor, and his state has the worst health care. Shame on him. Should be his number one issue. When you go to the doctor and you can't afford... I was talking to a woman recently. She said, I can't afford to get my teeth fixed. I I said, you're kidding. This is what I mean. People walking around with bad mouths because they they can't, you know, in this country with all this money. But this guy, Paul, uh, Rand Paul, first of all, Rand is such a fucking bad name that it's worse than Howard. I'm glad to be named Howard over the name Rand. Rand. What a fucking elitist name, Rand Paul. What is that? Do you know any other planet, any other person on this planet who's named Rand? I don't know what Rand is. I don't know where. What is that? It's not even a name. I don't believe his name is Rand. What do you think of that? Rand? 
This Kentucky has such problems. It ranks near the bottom in state rankings of overall quality of living. It means people are living horribly in Kentucky. But I digress. This guy, so you had, uh, he Rand Paul voted against the $15, $15 billion in uh, federal aid to help Texas after Hurricane Harvey. You remember what Texas looked like? I mean, you know, this guy, so he's what against is the, the, you know, you get blown over. He's against picking you up. He voted against uh, relief for hurricane aid for Sandy, Harvey, Irma and Maria. He also voted nay, which, by the way, I learned is no. Listen to this. Nay. Nay. <laughs> I, that's what horses say. Nay. He voted nay. <laughs> no. Just fucking vote like a man and say no. Nay. <laughs> nay, Wilbur. <laughs> He voted nay. He voted nay. He voted no on California wildfire relief. Remember when you turned on the news and you saw our and country whole, burning like the up? The whole state was on fire. It was fucking nuts. People losing their homes and not rich celebrities. It's, I'm talking about everyday working people. Yeah, in California, there are everyday working people. They're not all rich celebrities. This guy opposed a bill to aid first responders still suffering from 9-11. He's like, no fucking way. What is our tax dollars for if we're not going to help the guys who ran into buildings in 9-11? Some of them losing their lives, but the ones that live now are suffering with all kind of cancers. What does he like vote crazy. yes to? What does he vote yes to? I'll tell you what he voted yes to, this fucking hypocrite. Okay? Okay. He wrote a letter. To uh, Joe Biden, President Biden, you got to help us in Kentucky. We need aid. We just got hit with a terrible tornado. And he's right. The tornado is terrible. Oh, it's devastating. Yeah. yeah, people are suffering. But there he did. He, he, he woke up. All of a sudden, he understands. Yeah, here he is being arrogant. Here, listen. People here will say they have great compassion and they want to help the people of Puerto Rico and the people of Texas and the people of Florida. But notice they have great compassion with someone else's money. I will be offering up an amendment if this bill should come to the floor, but until then I will object. Observing the right to object, everybody wants something and somebody says, oh, there's money in the Treasury. Guess what? There's not. Yeah, well, for some reason there's money in the Treasury for Kentucky. And what he did is, which is the slimiest thing, instead of going on television and asking for relief, he did it in a letter because he doesn't want right. me he playing want the tape. To know. Yeah. Such bullshit. Okay. Such bullshit. I love when uh, ZZ Top was in our studio and, and um, Billy Gibbons uh, is about to go into song and he looks over at Robin and he goes, Robin, this one's for you. Like that. <laughs> I was embarrassed. Like it, I thought I was intruding on something. Well, it was very you, sweet. It was sweet. <laughs> I was moved by that. It I was, was like, hey, this guy's, this guy's coming on to my girl. What the fuck? What's he doing? <laughs> that was great. Those guys were there. So good. Dusty Billy and Frank Beard. What a voice on this guy, too. I like how humble they are, too. They're like, yeah, same three chords, 
same three guys or whatever the hell they say all the time. It's funny. Um, I want to, uh, I think it's time for a phony phone call. I haven't played one all week. We've been so busy. No, we've been with, busy, busy, busy. I love phony phone calls, and um, this one's good. Uh, this this is, um, you know, Sal and Richard have a fake radio show called The Jack and Rod Show, and the reason they do that is you can get guests to come on the radio, and then, of course, they goof on them by setting up these weird scenarios. Well, this one's good. This I time, love it when these people think they're going to get a real <laughs> interview from Jack and Rod, and Jack and Rod... This one yeah. is a, a Christmas theme. Because it's Christmas, uh, we wanted to do a Christmas theme phony phone call. And this time, the boys on the Jack and Rod show invite a Christmas Santa, guy who plays Santa oh. for little kids and stuff. And, There's a guy uh, they, who plays Santa who wants to be interviewed. Well, you know these guys you can hire for parties to be Santa, or you can even get them to go to malls and kids sit on their lap. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. I don't. Parents put their kids on these people's laps. I'm, sometimes I'm like, dude. Just remove that fake beard and, like, look what you're putting your kid in their lap. I mean, you wouldn't these are not... when he takes off that beard and that no. white or red suit. <laughs> I always thought that was weird. And I always think about the liability. If I own this store, I'm not having a Christmas Santa and telling kids to go sit on it. You know I'm going to hire some dude. He's going to pop a rod or something. Well, that's why they have those elves. The elves are watching his every Yeah, <laughs> That's what those elves are for. I thought they made <laughs> toys. No, they're making sure Santa doesn't pop a boner. Good Lord. I mean, it looks like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Well, Come here, little boy. With it. Yeah, I mean, who? I know I know. there are some legit mall Santas who are very nice people, but sometimes I worry that maybe there's some people who are there for the wrong reasons, like priests, who sometimes <laughs> go into the business for the wrong reason. Oh, you know, like, like John Wayne Gacy used to dress as a clown. You know, he was corrupting the clown business as if it couldn't be corrupted more. You, you're you're kind of freaked he, he out. He did Chris, I mean, kids' parties and stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. John Wayne Gacy. Would, <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. And But anyway, this guy is not one of those people. He's just an honest-to-God guy. He's an actor, and he, 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 he portrays Santa in a bunch of different ways. Uh, he's one of the good Santas. What do you mean, portrays him in different ways? He's an actor, so he can be part of your holiday party and portray Santa. He could be... At a kid's party, he could be, you know, he, he could create he a video message. acting gig. That's right. That's right. But anyway, so the goof was the boys invited Dr. Now, our Dr. Now, Chris Wilding, who does the Dr. Now impression so well. <laughs> so it was Dr. Now on there telling Santa he's a fat fuck. Uh, he's got to lose some weight. And this guy's like, you fucking moron. I'm, a, I'm an actor. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm pretending to be Santa. What do you, you know? Chris, this is a good one. I love your Dr. Now impression. It's so good. Sometimes I'm in a meeting with Chris, and he'll mm -hmm. just start doing Dr. Now, and then I just piss my pants. I laugh so hard. Yeah, because you, you want to do the work, but you don't want to stop the eating, so you have a big problem. You need to that, go that, on 1,200 calorie diet, 400 that, in the morning, and then you do the same for lunch, no snacking in between. D Doctor now says the same three lines over and over again. You got it down. It's like it's like, hey man, no snacking, yeah. twelve hundred calorie diet, and why you eat so much? Why are you eating so much? You say you're malnourished, six hundred, seven hundred pounds. You don't look malnourished to me. That's <laughs> ridiculous. 
<laughs> I like to like I guess he works in Texas, so he tries to endear himself to the to the local community. So he always enters the room going, How do y'all doing? How do y'all doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's his like, story? Like where, like you know the whole backstory on him. Right. Yeah, where's he's Iranian. And his Iranian? full name is like Dr. Now now what is it? Like it's the whole yeah, Dr. Nazarian. It's Dr. Nazarian. Yeah, I watched that show really. Yeah. And and you know, Dr. Now is a guy who's willing to take some of these people who are way too heavy. And he operates on him. He cuts through yeah, all their fat. Yeah, but he has fat. no bedside manner. And he's why you eating so the eyebrow? <laughs> why, why are you eating so much? And they go, Doctor, now it's water weight. Yeah, you don't get 600 pounds because you drink water. That's not water weight. That's chocolate. That's pizzas. That is Taco Bells. You're not doing the right thing. Don't tell me what you say you're doing because you're doing it wrong. And See, then the reason- they'll cut away. They'll play this music and he'll go to the camera like, and he gets very monotone. You know, the problem with Stephen is he has massive psychological issues. Until you want to deal with the psychological issue, I cannot help him. Anyway, <laughs> it's going to be what it's going to be. You know what's funny about that show? In the beginning, when Dr. Now was on, they used to put up subtitles when he talked. And it turns <laughs> out his son is the producer of the show or something. Uh-huh. And, you know, shoots this oh, cool. thing and had the, had the idea to make the show. Doctor now got insulted that there were subtitles when he uh, was talking, oh. so they removed <laughs> he made the subtitles. His son stop. <laughs> yeah, well, they removed the subtitles. I don't know what the fuck he's saying no now. Fuck you know? Too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you, a- you come as a hero, you don't speak it, and you need to go on a diet for today. It's very important to do this. You understand what I'm saying? You repeat back to me, and they're like, "Yes, I, uh, <laughs> Chris and I, I lost spoken- my diet plan." <laughs> Chris and I have spoken about this off the year. Sometimes I'm like, you know, it's funny if you just garble all the words because you never understand what Dr. Now is saying. But then sometimes we write funny jokes for Dr. Now and you want and people you want to understand them. them. Yeah. But I Very like the complex. Dr. Now. I, but I said to Chris, I really love the Dr. Now. I don't even care if the joke is just the Dr. Now. He's completely unintelligible. It's just so great. He'll go on and on and on. And you don't know a fucking word he said. Yeah, you don't understand. You do that. You do have five in the morning, and you're not gonna have one in the evening if you do that, and you're gonna lose a lot of weight. You're gonna lose a lot of weight. It's so simple. <laughs> Meanwhile, I can't even tell if Doctor Now is thin. I mean, he might look like he's, he's not. Lose. Yeah, he's got to lose <laughs> a few pounds too. <laughs> he's an older guy. He should. Yeah. They should have a show where he he looks at himself in the mirror and goes, "Oh my God, you need to go on a diet." <laughs> Talk to himself. Oh my God, I'm catching I'm catching the fat from these fat souls. My God, I'm hanging on, I'm hanging on, on and these fat people from my this is gonna rub off. <laughs> yeah. Why don't I do the work, Doctor? Now it's so great, but Chris has got him down, and like sometimes I even go. Chris does such a great doctor now. If you don't watch 600 pound, because most people don't watch 600 pound life, but even if you don't know doctor now, he's still a funny character. It's the right. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've you, never seen doctor now. Doctor now, do you know you're 77 years old? Of course I'm 77 years old. That's me. I would only know about me. If I wasn't 77, I'd be another age. But I'm 77 years old, of course. From and Iran. How does he continue what? to operate? That's a strenuous operation. He it does. is. Oh, sometimes he's like, sometimes he holds his operating utensils. He's got this thing that looks like a car antenna that he shoves into fat people's <laughs> bellies. Yes. And, yes. He, and sometimes it looks like he's half asleep and he's like <laughs> stroking this metal rod into these fat people. I go, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. I know. It looks like he's like he's like doing the the electric on a building or something. Like, and he's crazy <laughs> he's because the, the guy's crazy because 
Like these people come in and they have to prove to him, like they weigh about 650 pounds. And he goes, if you lose a hundred pound, I do the operation on you. So they lose a hundred pounds. Yeah. They still as fat as fuck. And you go, this guy's crazy because he's one of these people going to die on the table. You know what I mean? It's like you can't. I mean, he starts cutting through that fat and they show you him cutting through the fat. I'm like, boy, he's got a set of balls on him, too, because most of these people that you think are going to have a heart attack. They're so heavy. Can they even lay down? I mean, don't they have to, like, practically sit up during the operation? (laughs) You you, got to see when they move them onto the operating table. It's like 17 guys. It's like moving a pyramid. <laughs> it's like, like the military uh, operation. It's how the Egyptians built the pyramids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They, 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 it's just crazy. But, You're the size uh, of a pyramid. Just not good. You got to be yeah. at least the size of a, a a shack or something. You can't be size of a pyramid. It's no good. I think, I think the reason I like Doctor now so much is that he doesn't like pussyfoot around he doesn't he just like he does like and the fat people yeah. they want they want someone to like baby them and under, they go i don't understand i went to doctor now and he just don't know how hard it is to stop eating he and he i thought he would be pleased that i lost seven pounds but he told me <laughs> to lose 50 pounds you know meanwhile if the guy missed one meal he'd lose 50 pounds if you know, the guy if, clapped it, his hands he'd lose 50 pounds <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, mean, and it's, it, these people are just so frustrating so dr now's finally like you gotta lose some weight you're gonna die you, you say it's hard you know it's gonna be hard when you die and they put you in the ground and you can't eat anything but dirt the bug gonna be eating you the maggot's gonna eat you for dinner that's gonna be real hard <laughs> you gotta love this guy doctor now doctor now I, but you don't understand doctor now I, I love food so much you don't understand I, I'm really trying my hardest just please do the operation on me you don't come here and say you try we made a deal to lose 100 pounds you don't do it you say it's very hard <laughs> gonna be very hard to operate on you you 100 pound over 600 pound I'm gonna need a chainsaw to cut through <laughs> that all that fat and then and then this this music comes up this like sappy music and the, the, the yeah. fat person is like kind of waddling out of there barely or they're wheeling them out uh, in a wheelbarrow and, the, he, and, he, and he's the problem uh, the problem with Susie is she like to eat more than she like to live and until she changes her way to psychotherapy and real reflection she's not gonna be able to do the surgery and I feel bad but nothing I can do for her. I realized after a couple of seasons of watching this that Doctor Now says the exact same thing after every fat person leaves who can't lose right. weight. It's the right. same. It's the same. And you still can't big bushy eyebrows. You think you get better at saying those three words? That's, oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> he has his big bushy eyebrow and he barely moves his mouth when he speaks, and he gets very almost monotone when he does it. And he tried yeah. to be sincere, but he sounds very insincere, quite frankly. <laughs> But doctor, now I swear I really have been sticking to the diet exactly. I'm just not losing the weight. You're gonna be sticking to the chair because you're so fat. You're gonna fuse to it <laughs> like you're one symbiotic being. You don't uh, even know what you're supposed to do, and I give you I that took, plan, and you lose it. Twelve hundred calorie, no snacking. I took your diet home. I threw out so much food. I mean, I slipped just a few times and had pizza. 
I, I, right, you under- take the pizza home. You take the pizza home and the breadstick <laughs> and the crazy bread, and you're going to be the size of three of you in two months. It's not right what you're doing, and I'm not going to help you again. You get, And then it's always one more chance. I'm going to give you one more chance. You can lose <laughs> another 50 pounds, or I'm really done with you, and you're going to go uh, on your own and do your own thing, and you're going to die. <laughs> and then and then Dr. Now does his monotone speech after they leave, but the, the, the heavy person's like, oh, I really thought Dr. Now would be a little bit more understanding. He doesn't know how hard it is for me to lose weight and blah, 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 blah. It's the greatest show ever. Anyway, so Chris got on with a Jack and Rod show. Sal, It's Sal and Richard, their fake radio show. And, and Chris was playing uh, Dr. Now. And they had as their guest... Santa Claus, the guy who plays Santa Claus. And <laughs> So uh, he's in character. He's not a guy playing Santa Claus. He's Santa Claus. He's Santa Claus. They invited him on as Santa Claus to give a demonstration of what he does as Santa Claus. So okay. here we go. Without further ado, if I can find it, it's Jack and Rod on their radio show with Santa and Dr. Now as a guest. Welcome back to the Jack and Rod radio show. Today's show is about being safe and healthy around the holidays. So we have a special panel here. Of course, we have Santa Claus. And from TLC's My 600-Pound Life, it's weight loss expert, Dr. Now. Hello, how y'all doing? Hey, Doc. (laughs) And also, I brought in my nephew, Little Billy, to meet Santa Claus. Hi, Santa. Hello, little Billy. I hope you have your milk and cookies ready for Santa. Oh. I sure do, Santa. Oh. Well, there's a problem. You fly all night, you eat all this junk. Oh. And it's not healthy. You're going to get a heart attack. And then when you're dead, who's going to give little Billy his toys? What? Ho, ho. Uh, you, you, you. Are you going to die? Uh, oh, of course not, Billy. Oh, Santa might have a jelly belly, but he's very healthy. Oh, oh good. How can you call yourself healthy? You eat all the cookie, you're drinking all the milk, you no, sit no. on a sleigh all night, you don't exercise. I'm surprised the reindeer are going to be collapsed dragging around all the night time. Uh, doctor, now, what can Santa do to improve his situation? You see, the problem with Santa is very fat, and he celebrated. Huh? He don't want to do the work. Mm, you know... You think dying obesity is an easy death. It's not. It's very slow and painful. All you right. get diabetes, you're going to have a stroke. They could cut off your foot. Uh, this doctor is scaring me. This is... Uh, oh, doctor, now, please tell Billy that Santa is healthy. You're scaring him. Well, how scared are you going to be when you get stuck in the chimney because you're so fat? Are you, are you for you real? You don't care. This guy needs to get a life, man. I'm not Santa. I'm an actor. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Little Billy's here, Santa Claus. Let's keep it real. Uh, all right. Uh, mm. Whoa, ho, ho, ho. Santa is very real. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, real fat. Little Billy, don't listen to this man. He does not care about his health. What are you, stupid? What are you, a quack? He's very old and very angry hey, because yo, he had... you want to see angry? I'll take that stethoscope. No, 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 there's a kid here. Oh, God. Yeah, let's wrap this up. That's a great idea. Santa's mean. You ruined my Christmas. 
You see, you make the children cry because you're very angry and you're lashing out. You're out of control. Billy, I cannot help cover you. your ears, Billy. Billy, cover your ears. You know, you're nothing but a fucking asshole. You ruined this kid's Christmas. And you're gonna die. Hmm. Well, uh, I guess that wraps up our healthy holiday special. Merry Christmas, everyone. Wow. <laughs> Boy, you're gonna wow. die. The noises that guy was making under a doctor now. He couldn't contain himself. Wow. That's a good one. You told him right. Need- Santa's gonna get well. diabetes and he's gonna have to cut off his foot. A bad message for children. Are you gonna drive a sleigh with one foot? It's ridiculous. <laughs> good job. Thank you. I love it. There you go. Jack and Rod. Chris doing his famous Doctor Now impression. That How you doing? Hysterical. He was pissed. But a good sport. Com- in the forgot end. all about Santa for, <laughs> for a while there. He couldn't keep his uh, couldn't keep in character. Right. Yeah. Let's go to Pocket Pocket in California. Then we'll take a break and we'll talk to Neil Young. Very exciting morning. Be back. Uh, after the holidays with all excitement, the show is always exciting. There's so much excitement. Yeah, Pocket, yeah, can you stand it? up all year, Howard. Was that? Thanks for being with us all year. It's been an awesome year once again. Oh. Yes, thank you. It uh, has hey. been a good year. Do you have any plans to do any reading over vacation? <laughs> well... I'm still uh, listening you know, to another audio book. You're with well, one tap. I was talking the other day how I was listening to the audio book by Mel Brooks called um, My My Life. or something. Sorry, Mel, I don't remember the name. but it's All like About called, Me, something like all that. All About Me. That's it. You got it. She's not reading the book, but she knows the name. <laughs> anyway, uh, I told you I'd never gotten an audio book before, but I'm on uh, that service that we advertise, audio books. Or audio, Audible. Audible. <laughs> are you listening to yourself i listen i don't know i don't know what i'm on i'm on somewhere you go on and you, you hear the book and the first book i saw was mel brooks all about me so i got it and i was really pleasantly surprised not only do i enjoy listening to mel reading about his book or reading his book but uh it's funny and it's fucking entertaining and i, and I love the whole thing because i love mel brooks and 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 like now everyone's hitting me up, not only just pocket, everyone's saying to me, well, what book are you going to listen to next? Like I'm sort of like Oprah's book club or something. Yeah, you're bullshit. starting an audio book club. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> first of all, I'm embarrassed to admit this. I'm still listening to Mel Brooks book. I, I suspect <laughs> it, it's going to take me another two weeks. I don't know how this Baba Booey whips through these books. It says it's supposed to Mel Brooks reads you the book in five hours. I feel like I've been listening for at least five hours, but. Are I don't you know. I'm What's going on here? Mel's, Mel's book is 15 hours. Oh, oh. I thought it said five hours. No, <laughs> I didn't 15. know that. It's 15. a long book. But well, it's I love it. As far as I'm concerned, 15 hours of Mel Brooks I can handle because he's talking about Young Frankenstein. He's talking about the producers. He's talking about uh, Blazing Saddles. Forget about it. It's great. He's talking about uh, Anne Bancroft. How she directed the movie Fatso. She, you know, it's 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 all encompassing. It's all he, he even takes. He was in World War Two and the whole thing. And so 
I'm enjoying it, but I got news for you. I don't, I think it's going to, you know, cause I don't like, it, it's weird. I don't just sit down and start listening to a book. I got to almost have nothing else to do. You know, if I'm going to sit and listen to a book, sit still like that. I would, I would take it with me when I go on my walk, but I got Beth there. I can't slap on some headphones. Yeah, you're and supposed to be Mel walking Brugge. with Beth, not with I'd your like, book. <laughs> right. And then, I mean, so there's not a lot of opportunities from like, How do you do it, Gary? Like, how do you listen to books in your car? So I used to listen to them in the car, especially those two-hour rides home on the West Side Highway when traffic was bad. They were a lifesaver. I would listen to the news in the morning and a little bit of a book. And now I am... Um, you know, until the weather gets really shitty, I go out for like a 90-minute walk. So that's a great oh. time to listen to it as well. By the way, Mel Brooks has been alive so long, he he tells stories about meeting General Sarnoff. I, mean, I know. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> he was there at the not... very beginning of everything. I'll tell you something about this guy. He's 95 years old, and he sounds great on the book. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable that he's got all, you know, my dad's now 98, and he's like, like what the fuck's my i don't know what my old man's even saying half the time you know that's why when i'm listening to mel brooks my mom my mom's 94 and she sounds like mel brooks like you know oh she's 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 got it her she's still talking fast she she doesn't stop talking (laughs) we ask i don't know that uh listening to audiobooks is something that you do when you're doing nothing else. I think you have to be driving or walking or cleaning or doing something. Well, sometimes I lay in bed and listen to it when I can't sleep. And sometimes I, I don't know. I, when I paint you now, I'm trying to listen when to you're it. Painting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to do that. That's pretty good. But boy, it's a, it's a really good book. It's just, I don't know that I'm going to get to another one anytime soon. It just seems like I'll, I'll probably, if I do any reading, if you want to call that reading, uh, I'll be listening to Mel Brooks. And I think it'll be like for the next month and then I'll finish it. Howard, the other so, thing you can do is like you could run it through Alexa, which is super easy. I, I don't want to, so I like, don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Some, sometimes do you I'm, have I'm like, Alexa? Hey, I thought you wouldn't no, let her in the house. <laughs> no, fuck that. I got to tell you something. I don't know. Like, I was listening to Mel Brooks the other day. I'm in the middle of it. All of a sudden, he stops reading. And then I, then this woman comes on and goes, Ashley just texted you. She wants to know Dad. And she starts reading my private text from my daughter. Who's like, this? Who the f- a woman. I think that's and, uh, an update you know, on the iPhone. Because that started happening to me all of a sudden like two weeks ago. Like, I'm so in the I middle of the book Beth. and I get the message. I, I turned to Beth. She goes, what's wrong? I go, you gotta fucking hear this. I'm listening to Mel Brooks, and uh, this this lady's reading me uh, Ashley's. T- and, and then then all of a sudden she goes, "We are sending your text back to Ashley. You gotta fucking believe that. You've got to fucking believe this. You couldn't believe it, Beth. Um, they're getting a text." And I was like, "No!" I go, "No, no, 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 no." I mean, it was crazy ass stuff. Beth goes, "You got to turn that off. You're gonna start sending people texts. It's crazy." Anyway, uh, I, to answer your question, pocket. I'll be listening to Mel Brooks's book for the next two months, maybe, and then I'll be done with it. And then I'll answer your question about what I'm going to listen to next. Uh, so, so thank you for that. All right. By the way, uh, I've said it all morning, but I'll say it again. It's a super great morning if you get to talk to Neil Young, the legendary Neil Young. My God, I love this guy too much.
It's almost obscene, my love for him. So uh, the fact that he's here, he's promoting a new project called The Barn, and I'll tell you all about it. There he is. There's the man. There he is. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sorry I'm stuck on the bridge. I can't make it for another 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This commuting is hell. (laughs) How are you doing, Howard? I'm doing great. You look good, and uh, I'm coming off the high of watching uh, The Barn. I uh, Oh, Wow. I got a million questions for you, man. I, but I got to tell you, I was reminiscing with Robin. I said, you know, I had I realized when I was 15 years old, I had no money. My parents gave me like 50 cents a week allowance. The the album I had, I had two albums. I had Sgt. Pepper's. And I had Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere. That's it. Oh, wow. God, you were rescued. <laughs> yeah, I was. It was that album more than I think more than. It's hard to say this harvest. I mean, you know, you know, you go through your catalog. It's insane. But everybody knows this is nowhere is a special album. I don't know exactly what to say about it. We could talk about it, but it is just spectacular. And I, well, that's, I get you, so, man. yeah. And I get excited when you're coming in because, you know, you, you know, I noticed something in the barn, this place that you live. This was shot in Colorado, where you live. It's your barn. This place looks so magnificent. It makes me want to go to Colorado and experience it. I've been there a couple of times in my life when I was young. What, 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 this barn that you have, is it part of a larger compound? Is your house there too? Or is this just some place you go to record? Well, it's some place we go to record. And it's a, it's a place that, uh, uh, you know, Obviously, the way it looks in the film is because Daryl is a great filmmaker, and and, uh, it, and she just created the place where music comes from. Kind of, it's a weird thing. Is it's a the barn itself is like a personality. It, it has a, a vibe, and it's it's almost like you think the the barn is speaking to you through the music or something. It's very uh, it's very out there. Uh, but she created the whole thing. She she directed it and told us, uh, you know, everything to, except for the music. Daryl yeah. Hannah, your wife. Um, by the way, congratulations. I don't know when exactly you got married, but thank you. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> yeah, Daryl Hannah shot the, the the Neil put out an album called The Barn, and I guess the idea was to not only show you recording the album, which I love. I like this idea of musicians pulling the curtain back. And showing you the recording process, and it's um, a first of all, it's a very well shot film, and I'm I was shocked she she shot the whole thing on her iPad. Is that true? Yeah. Well, her and C.K. Volick, he had a handheld uh, kind of a a mid res camera, and he he is a great a great uh, cinematographer, uh, and the two of them with uh, Daryl directing, uh, they did they shot everything. Daryl did a lot of shooting. Uh, she's always doing something, so she's never just standing around. Uh, and 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 I noticed. Oh, I remember seeing her standing around once, and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's like that too. Like she never sits. She's got one of these rings that measures her activity by ten in the morning. She's already done about nine miles or just around the house. <laughs> that ain't me, you know. I'm like sitting on my ass all day. But Neil. <laughs> When when um, when your wife uh, is credited in the film, 
it's she doesn't say Daryl Hannah. She says directed by D. H. Lovelife. Yes. And I was thinking about that. Is that a name you call her? Is in other words, she is your love life. She's your love. Yeah. And yeah. And, and 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 but why not just say Daryl Hannah? What is the D. H. Love life? Well, she likes she likes D. H. Love life, and she had a she's had you know. Uh, all kinds of projects that she's done in the past. She had a great, uh, great website that got uh, somehow got ripped off by somebody else. Uh, and uh, you know how that happens on the internet. It's what hard to mean? explain. I she don't know. A website? She had a website, DH love life or uh, love life farms or something. And uh, I think she's got dhlovelife.com again or something like that. But uh, she's got uh she had this for, and she made all these films and all this stuff. The website was amazing, and and uh, and this was like ten or fifteen years ago. She was doing this. She did everything way early, and now she's you know she's moved on to uh, rocker restoration. I think is what she's doing. What is a what? What is her? She has a fascination with you urinating. There's a move you do when you're recording the album. Now it's twice in the film. While you're recording, you walk outside and you urinate. And she has the camera focused on you from the back. We don't see your penis, but we see you from behind urinating. When she showed you this film that she was doing, did you say to her, honey, what, what is this? Why, why are you showing me, making my album and, and me urinating? What was the purpose there? What was her thought? I just, Howard, I look at it. And I and I I imagine what would the album have been like if I hadn't urinated? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. For I went for a week and didn't ever urinate. That would not be a good album. I think I would be in bad shape. Maybe by the end of the first song. And you know, there's so no. I think she saved my ass. Neil, there's no plumbing at this this place in Colorado where you have the barn. In other words. If, if I went well, there and I was hanging with you guys, I would have to pee and, and, and defecate out in the woods, I guess, right? There's no Well, there's place a place, there, there's a homestead near it, the old buildings that the people who came through. The barn used to be for uh, the, the, um, for the uh, horse and buggies, you know, coming through on the stagecoach in about 1850, 1860. And, uh, and people would come through and they'd, They'd get off the stagecoach there, and the stagecoach would go in the barn. The horses would go in. Everybody be in the barn getting cleaned up, ready for tomorrow. And the uh, and the passengers would be in the homestead or the bunkhouse. And uh, so that's where that's the way that worked. And uh, but there was no bathroom in either one of those either. But uh, but there was, you know, the classic shit house that you would you walk across the field to. This it looks like something out of one of those old movies. It's like this great building. It's kind of like the barn in its own way, but it's like a special small building, a two-holer. <laughs> I know what a stickler you are for sound. And when I look at this video, the film, and I see this barn where you record this new album, to me, it's like, well, I don't comprehend it because the, the door, there's no door on the barn. There's no soundproofing on the walls. I know that musicians are very particular about the sound, and you are especially. To 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 use this barn as a recording studio seems like something you would 
be bothered by because all of the outside noise and everything is coming in. There's no soundproofing whatsoever. Well, the outside noise is all great. That's one thing. And there's the, the barn is, it was built in 1860 or 1870, and we restored it just last year. Um, used to look at it together, and I would say, someday we're going to fix that. We're going to make that. Because it was going into the ground, and at his back was broken, the roof was down, and the whole thing was still. It was only half as tall as it is now. So it had gone, it kind of melted into the ground. It was going away. And uh, I just say, someday it's going to be, we're going to have the real barn. And she'd just look at the space, and I could see her imagining it, but not maybe believing it. But uh, and then And then we figured out how to do it, and we had this expert guy come and build it. Uh, a local guy who built barns before and knew the history of the barn and had old drawings of it and one old photograph. So we rebuilt it exactly like it was out of, and it's a huge, uh, uh, ponderosa pine logs. It's a log, it's a log barn. So the thing about that is most musicians today, uh, they record in studios. And they, they, uh, you know, everybody, like you say, they got all these things to make it sound good and, and everything. We didn't have any of that because we don't need it. Because with round surfaces, with round surfaces, um, there's no reflection. So we have logs on top of logs and a little air between them, maybe. And, uh, and then, you know, cause we've got to wait for them to cure for a couple of years before we put the chink in between. And, uh, so the sound just went everywhere off of these logs because it's round and then another round one. So there is no reflection. There's no standing waves. That's what all that stuff in the studio is trying to get rid of. That's why they're giving you all these little rooms to go into and do all of that. But we don't record that way uh, because we record our, what we do. We, didn't, we don't record what we think we're doing or what we think we want it to sound like. We record what we did because that was it. And we try to record the first time we do it because that's what people deserve to hear it. The original is still the greatest. I mean, the first is the best, the cherry, you know, what can you do? That's the way it's been for a long time. So that's the way I like to record. And the horse is totally tuned into that. And, uh, and so we, we just crazy like horse, that. your band. Yeah. They, yeah. Yep. Those I, I tell you, the film was so damn good. Now I'm a real Neil Young fan. But to see a master at work, and uh, and you're a master at your craft, and you know, I got kind of sad during it in a weird way. I'm watching you do this recording, and there's videos I watch online of you when you were young, and uh, especially Massey Hall, when you come out with an album and you start, I love it. I love it so much. It's like you're this young guy, and you're for the first time putting out some of these songs that later became huge hits, but it's the first time you're performing them. In this film that you just are releasing, The Barn, in walks, in the opening shots, the old master, the guy who's done this a hundred times. Unlike most musicians your age at this point who are not putting out new music, out of fear or whatever, you walk fear. in with like fear, right? It's fear. <laughs> Did you have that fear in the sense that you say, my legacy is so great. The music I've put out is so great. I have so many friggin' hits, you can't even count them. I shouldn't put out new music because if it bombs, 
I, it's going to affect my legacy. Is that the fear that you talk about? No. No. No? I don't have that. I don't have any what, of that. What is the fear then? That I'll stop writing songs. <laughs> I like writing because, songs. Because in the opening shots of this video, you walk in and I see a guy who's fully in control. You know the recording process. You know what you want the band to do. You're tinkering on a piano. And I'm like, this guy's as comfortable on a piano as he is on a guitar. And I'm seeing all this unfold. And I hear you talking with the other musicians. And I hear you guys tinkering, or tinkering around. I hear you rehearsing some of the harmonies. It's magical. It's fucking great. I Thanks, love man. seeing that process. I like you pulling back the curtain a bit and showing us how you write these songs. That's why I like this new Beatles documentary. Did you did you watch that at all? I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting. I want to watch it all at once or or do something with it, but I haven't been able to schedule my time around the television yet. It's like eight hours. I wonder if you're going to like it because maybe you you've done it so many times. You've written songs. Why do you what do you care about how the Beatles write songs? What who gives a shit? You have your process. You probably don't care. But they're interesting. I, I like to see. I like to see how they work together, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, how they, uh, you know, how they came together and what their issues were and what they were overcoming. I'm always be yeah. interested in. That. And uh, of course, they were. They did it in a very straight situation in a very, you know, Apple Records or whatever it was. I don't know EMI or something, someplace, uh, some studio, and. Uh, and then in this thing, they're up on top of a roof or playing somewhere. There's, I haven't seen it, so I know nothing about it except I love the Beatles, a great band, and it, it'll be fun to watch and see what they do uh, in a studio. I loved it. Same reason I love your uh, the barn. I love seeing the curtain pull back. There's one little scene where you're smoking some weed. You're in the you're in the um, uh, the little uh, trailer. And you got your little pipe, and you're taking a hit of some weed. And I go, why am I so fascinated? Why is this st still such a rebellious kind of look, <laughs> watching Neil Young smoke his weed? And I like it. I like seeing that. I'm glad you showed it. Well, is there any hesitation? Yeah. No, I, I never no even thought about it. They're just, you know, it's, it's just a process, you know. It's part of the music as far as I'm concerned. It, does, it doesn't it, make, you know, all these rules about it are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 70s, whatever. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm still smoking weed and, you know, Hey, I might die. I might fall over in a couple of minutes, but it won't be because of the weed. <laughs> That's you know, right. I, I, I like the weed. I think the weed's good stuff. I, 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 uh, we've done a lot of stupid things. You know, we've got a lot of stupid, a lot of stupid stuff. We've got it really backwards, but Hey, what the heck, you know? I was able to skate and go buy it. But when I became an American um, uh, uh, citizen, uh, I, uh, I, I uh, told him, he said, he asked me in the interview, do you, ever, do, you do drugs? I said, well, I, I smoke weed. And I did drugs a long time ago, you know, because everybody did. But, but now I just smoke weed. And, you know, I, I like it. It's good for my music. It's good for what I do. And it keeps me calm. I mean, so they're like medicinal kind of. So I'm telling them all this stuff. And then uh, and then somebody else did an interview with me a couple of days later and asked me some of the same questions. So I said it answered it the same way. And so it was in the L.A. Times or something. And then it goes all over the 
you know, they copy everything and send it everywhere. And then the immigration department calls me back. And I want another interview. You know, the first one I was, I, I won. I, I, I was accepted. Then I went back in and I hope that, you know, immigration people, I hope you're not offended by me telling this story because sincerely you hold all the cards. So, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I went in and, uh, they asked me all the same questions, but my lawyer had told me, he said, what they're trying to do is get you to answer all of these questions about the weed so that they can not give you the, what they gave you. So I, so I said, okay, good. We'll just avoid those. So they started asking me all the same questions. And I said, no, you guys got, I thought you had new questions for me. These are all in the first interview. <laughs> you guys have got great records of that. You got everything. You got it all written down. That's I'm not answering those again. You got me back here again. Ask me some new questions. And I kept going like that. And uh, I, I've done a lot of interviews, even though I haven't done a lot of interviews. I've done a lot of interviews. You know, it right. all adds up. So uh, to me, it wasn't like uh, the fact that I'd already answered every question and truthfully and perfectly in the last interview, just made me feel really good about saying, oh, you got that one. You got it. We covered that. Let's uh, let's do some new stuff. And, uh, you know, so after about an hour and a half of asking me the same questions, they realized he's not going to answer any of the questions we want him to answer. Because the second time they had people copying, they had recording, they had a little camera. The first time it was just a couple of people talking, jotting things down, everything was fine. So it was remarkable, but, but, you know, it's well documented that, that, uh, and I don't recommend it to anybody. I think if anybody wanted to try it, they should try it themselves and make up their own minds. I'm not saying everybody should smoke weed other than a couple of people I can think of that I see on TV. But I, <laughs> aside from that, I don't recommend it. Yeah, I think that guy funny. with the yellow tie and the white shirt from Florida, he should smoke yeah. really a lot of weed. And I could have it shipped directly to him. I was going to, I had this whole rap I wanted to do on Trump with you. I watched this and I, I, I'm avoiding doing it. Yeah. I was, I'm avoiding doing it. Did you ever see him in a press conference talking about you? Uh, the fact that um, he wanted to use rocking in the free world. And he's embarrassed because you had said to him, don't use rockin' in the free world when you walk out on stage. And then he explains to reporters uh, how, how come uh, you're, he, you know, he barely knows you and uh, all this shit and how you suck up to him. and all. Yeah, have you ever seen that, that video? you got to watch it. It is the most re- – I don't know how anyone could vote for him after you watch this. It, you well, haven't seen I, it? Uh, no. Oh, I don't watch okay. him much, really. Uh, he used to be when he was president. I watched him you know, like almost every night. But after that, uh, not really. Yeah, you he's got a, a line. He's what? Go ahead. He, I was just, you know, he. I wanted him to, you know, I thought I could do him a favor. I looked at this guy and I go, everybody I know doesn't like this guy. They thought I was crazy to go talk to him. I said, this is good. I can go in there. It'll be unusual. So I went there. I went to the thing. I went up the stairs. I got on the elevator. I went to the umpteenth floor. We got off. I walked in. They, everybody, you know, bang, 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 photography. And 
Then, then I got in there, and there, then there he is, and he's got a little desk. He doesn't, he had a little, just a little room in the corner with uh, Trump in there uh, behind his desk. And I walk in and met him, and and uh, my whole idea was, here's a guy nobody really likes very much. It hasn't got much cred, uh, really, uh, in the in the world, especially in the arts world. And why don't, why not? What if he invested some of his hard earned money in uh, in music? I said, this guy could be responsible for the revolution in music. Or music could be high res. There's no reason why we can't hear all the music. This is, but I've been harping on this for years, and I'm even talking behind right now. You'll probably heard from your producers and your major guys there in the back room. You know, he, Young's banging on the door. He says, you guys should be using high res music out there. You know, so I'm doing that even as we speak because I, I love high res. So anyway, I thought that if I could get Trump to invest in in uh, the company that I was doing, and it would be the beginning of high res music in the world, or change the way the world sounds. He loves music. Actually, I got to tell you something. This is something no one knows about Donald Trump. A great bass player, unbelievable. Get out! What are you saying? Is a red Fender Precision. You're joking. It's red. It's it's a great bass, and he plays the hell out of it. He he's a rocker. He plays. What is the joke? He plays here? bass better than anybody I've ever heard. Donald Get Trump. Out. Neil, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you saying? You're pulling I'm my leg. Howard of Stern. I can say I can do whatever I want. <laughs> the man has no the, the man the, the man has no musical ability. Let's just clear that up. No, here's my Listen, point. He, he keeps it hidden. He keeps it hidden. He doesn't want to be known as that guy with the red base. Are you kidding? What? Don't Donald you think that Trump. would redeem him? That would redeem him. Are you kidding? You you say a lot of mysteries own, in this life, Howard. You got a line. You got a line on um, the barn on uh, American. What Neil's referring to is is that he was born in Canada. He decided to try to get dual citizenship. And because he was honest and said he smoked weed, they were trying to get him on, uh, you know, having a bad moral character. Can you imagine? Neil Young's got bad moral character. But this is what goes on. John Lennon went through the same thing. Yeah. Uh, they tried to keep him out of the country. Who doesn't want John Lennon to be a citizen of America? Who doesn't want him here? You know, it's crazy. It's just, just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But you got a song on there called American, which is what you are. Canary. Canadian. Howard, Howard. It's- can Arrigan. Can Arrigan. It's the Canadian part is on the front. Don't lose the N. Keep the N. Then go okay. to. Yeah. Okay. But I you want you great... to be factual in this interview. This is very important. Don't you think I, so? I do. I think anytime I talk right. to you, it's important. I, I, <laughs> I think on Canarican, you say this line. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably mangling the line because I just I've, I've just started listening to it. But you say something like. I voted for my candidate, or I voted for my man. Yeah. I cast my, my man. vote, and now I got my man. Yeah. Now I don't, but you say you don't have your man. I cast my vote, and I didn't get my man. And no, I said I got my man, didn't I? Yeah. Did, did you? I get it or not? Uh, I, did I this time? I, this th- time I got who I voted man. for. I got well, who I voted for. That was what I thought, happened. I thought you were making a point that in America, we no longer have the majority rule. That with this electoral college, people win, like Hillary Clinton got the most votes. 
but she didn't get to be president. I thought it was more a criticism of of America saying, how is it we vote for stuff and then we don't get it? Well, now you're starting to sound like a Democrat. You know, I don't know. You know what? I hate that Democrat-Republican stuff. I think American. American. I think we should be able to be American. Okay, and then, I agree. And you, you feel one way or you feel the other way, but it doesn't mean you're not American. So I focus on the unity, and that's what I try to do. But, you know, I know what you're getting at with uh, with the votes and everything. The system's screwed up. And, uh, and for instance, I voted for Joe Biden because of what he said, and I thought, wow, this guy looks like a president. He's, down, he's talking like if my kids saw him, I wouldn't want to take my kid out of the room. You know, so he's a good he's a good man. But then he opened up all these oil fields just like yesterday or the day before in all our in all our national lands. Thousands of acres for oil exploration. I'm saying, fuck you, Joe Biden, just like they write on the back of some of those cars. You know, I'm saying, what do you do that for? That is wrong. This is, you know, we are here now. This is we got about 10 years of this before we've destroyed the planet for our for our grandchildren. I feel very strongly about that. We don't. Science is not on our side here. It's just making the rules, and we can't bend it and have it like it's a service that we ordered online. It's it's well, not like that. You're right. And on we, the new album, you wrote a great song. I, I'm telling you, this new album, The Barn, is really good. It's called Human Race, and it addresses this. Um. You you say the line about how who is going to tell our children that we didn't save the planet for them? Who's going to be the guy that breaks the news to the next generation that we were assholes and we fucked the whole planet up for them? Dad, it's a, it's a m- Dad's going to have to do that. This is the song. Human race. good stuff it's the truth you know Beautiful. my father's my father's 98 years old and when he was still kind of talking he's he, he had a stroke but when he was talking I, I i i videotaped him and i said dad what's the most important thing your grandchildren should know he goes the planet screwed up and nobody's doing anything about it and uh, and he said i'm, I'm so worried about it that, that, that it's not going to be here for my great-grandchildren i got to enjoy it but they're not going to get to enjoy it and it's such, that's and how i feel at, yeah it's it's sad. It really is. Because but it's, when I was got to be it's got to be dealt with. And we need a leader. You know, we need what we need. What I think we need is we need the world leaders. We need Putin and Xi and and uh, and Biden and the three of them to be there together and to tell people what their scientists are telling them. Now, is that it's not that unreasonable. Uh, they all call themselves world leaders. They have giant, uh, you know, buildings that they live in and television and everything. And why not? Why not make that work? Why not stand up for the planet Earth? We need a leader of this planet. We don't need all of these. This is old shit. Having all these countries. This is history. 
We are now with a common threat against all of us. And it's, it's because of what we did. So the only way we're going to solve it is if we get together. We're never going to get together if the leaders that we have don't at least come together themselves and say what's going on. And they all agree on what's going on. They know. So to me, it's a, it's a missed opportunity and it, uh, it makes my faith in, uh, it, it, it shakes my faith in humanity to see these people wasting the opportunity, opportunity they have. Who cares about all this crap with the, you know, the red and blue and all that? That's, that's just a regular crap. You might as well make commercials about it. What we need is somebody who's talking about the planet and about our future and about our children and their children and the way it was when, when we grew up. Like, you know, you're not that much younger than me, maybe 20, 20 years younger or something. But, but when I grew up, <laughs> it was like Thank you. 1950, whatever. Oh, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it was like, it was yep. like 19, 1951. I'm walking down the street in Omimi, Ontario. There's a town of 750 people on a sidewalk. Sidewalk's broken. I'm going up and down and kind of, you know, like, and then my neighbor comes over. It's guys 15 or so years old gives me five cents if I'll eat a piece of, of tar from the highway. That's, that's where I was. Okay. But the place was great. The leaves were falling. It was fall. One of the things we did was you might make five cents by raking somebody's leaves on their lawn and do all of that. And we had a life, you know, we had real nature was behaving correctly. Everything was fine. The weather was, you know, basically the same every year. We had a rhythm going. We've destroyed that. We've destroyed it. That's why, that's why, that's why things are the way they are. It's because of us. So we need somebody to stand up and bring us together. This is much bigger than our petty squabbles over democracy and, and autocracy and all that crap. You know, it, okay, we'll work that out, but let's save our asses first. Let's save the kids. Let's make it so we've got somebody to work it out for. I love what you're saying, but I see a movement in this country, and it's pretty large, of people who are anti-science. You know, I was, I was thinking specifically about you. Uh, I don't know how many people know this, but, Neil, you had polio when you were a kid, right? Yeah. And, 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 and it was, uh, polio was devastating, but we got a vaccine, and it stopped yeah. polio. Yes, it what, did. What do you... What you're saying is, hey, there's an alarming thing out here. I agree with you. I think it's the most important issue in the world. What could be more important? We got to live here. But yet you got all these people who are anti-science, even anti-vaccine. Anti-vaccine, you must be like, what the fuck? Anybody remember polio? I mean, you know what it was like. It's devastating. They don't remember polio. That's people these don't. people. They don't remember polio. They weren't there. No. You know. They don't read. There's no history. Nope. Uh, we hardly ever teach that in schools. When was the last time you heard about a polio epidemic in, in uh, grade three? You didn't do that. So there's, you know, like these, I'll tell you one thing. We got climate change. That's the big deal. That's the driver. Okay, climate change is happening, and things are different all the time, and it's going south. But it's the, it's it. that's why the insects are all screwed up. That's why the bees are going weird places. And a small little, little tiny insects are going places. And then the microbes and all these things, everything is lost. They don't know where to go. Nothing's the same. What do you think is causing the pandemic? Where is that coming from? Is the pandemic a hundred year storm? Last time was 1918. It's 2021. That makes sense. But wait, we had a hundred year storm. 
And then we had a 100-year storm the next year. And then a year after that, we had what was almost a 100-year storm. And it looks like we got another one coming. What about those tornadoes? When was the last time that happened? So this is the problem is we have all of these issues, and they're all related to one thing. They're all related to the pan, to, to climate change. It's screwing all the balance of the earth up. That's why we're having things like this and the pandemic. We could have another pandemic in a year and a half that's completely different from the coronavirus. That's Absolutely. the way the weather is. That's the way the insects, that's the way the animals are. That's the way we are. There's a couple of things I got to tell you about that. First of all, I don't know when our world started not to believe in scientists. It almost sounds like the Superman comics. Remember, no one listened to uh, Jor-El when Krypton was blowing up. They didn't, when they were, you know, it's, it's literally <laughs> happening. But you talk to people and they go, I don't believe it. And so when you say, I love it, Putin should get together with Biden and all the world leaders should get together, the, the head of China. Gee. How does that happen when, gee, well, how does that happen when, when, uh, People won't even basically believe in science. They do not want to believe what scientists are telling them. It's I do remarkable. not. I, I cannot go along with that. I think we have a bunch of fools who don't believe in science. But I like these people. I don't care if they're fools. It's too bad. I still like them. They they live here with me. I disagree with them. Right. I think more people believe in science than don't. And I, I myself love science. Science is a way of keeping track of what we've done and what we're doing and where it's going. I think without that, science is a roadmap. We, you know, people, people are used to ordering things and getting them. And if it doesn't arrive the way they wanted it, it's no good. I don't believe in that company anymore. So it's this basic, we're ruined by this, by basically these, stations, uh, t- television stations that are advertising all these drugs and all this stuff, and these people like the, the news, uh, opinion news. What the hell is that? So we got these, all these people turning us against each other. You just go from one channel to the other, and they call each other assholes. And that's, that's it. That's what we got. No wonder people don't believe what's going on. So, you know, like I'm not a big fan of that. You know, uh, you did something recently where you said uh, you're and I'm so glad you said this because I I don't know. It's everything's getting bizarre with this pandemic. You see that a lot of artists are going back. They're performing live. And I understand what. Listen, this is how artists make their living, particularly in your business, in the music business. But you have said, listen, I'm not throwing any live shows. It ain't happening. There's people are walking around without masks. We got a pandemic going. I don't like what's going on. Are you still holding true to that? Absolutely. Good for you. I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a minute. How can we think we know what's going on? We're scared of a variant that we don't even understand. Why would a variant, why would we, why would we be so terrified about this and all the newspapers be writing about this variant? Why would that be happening if we we are just, we're we're in panic mode about this thing? People are not, uh, they're just not being, uh, realistic, and they're not being scientific. If we followed the, the rules of science and everybody got vaccinated, we'd have a lot better chance. I'm not saying it would be gone because we still have climate change and there'll be another one in a year, maybe right. a year and a half, whatever. It's like a 100-year pandemic. No, it's no, it's happening right now. But if everyone took the vaccine, perhaps we would dampen this thing. Uh, maybe we'd get it under control. 
What do you say to these people in your personal life who won't get vaccinated? I've given up. I, I, I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Uh, well, I say, are you vaccinated? And if they say no, I say, well, I'll see you. Right. That's right. That's why everybody, uh, everybody in the band and everybody in the crew and everybody there that was at the barn, they were all vaccinated. Everybody was tested and vaccinated. And that's, that was a year and a half ago or a year ago. Right. When it was the last June, whatever time, it's so no. easy to get lost. But, uh, but uh, you know, like, uh, these things make me sound like an a- angry person. But really, I'm just, I'm actually very happy to be here on the planet to see this and to, to bear witness to what's going on. I'm not happy about what's happening, but I am definitely very happy and thankful that I was born at this time that I get to see this. This is an amazing moment in the human history. We are, we, this is, there's never been anything quite like this. And, and it's such a, uh, we ought to be thankful that we have a chance to maybe show how to beat this. We might be able to beat this. We can still beat it. There's no reason why we can't. I mean, if we came together, we could take care of this. Uh, and, uh, and, and I have confidence that we can. I know it seems like we can't. And I know everybody's focused on the negativity of it, which, which of course I'm guilty of. You heard that song, but you know, I, I, I am very happy to be here. And I think we still have a lot of love in the world. And I'm very into having, uh, sharing that and, and being with other people that, uh, whether they're Trumpers or whether they're Biden people or whether they got, you know, screw you written on their car or whatever, whoever the heck they are, I, they have an, uh, they have a right to believe what they believe. So I'm, I'm proud to be there with them. I don't agree with them. That's a different thing. But the fact that we're all here is good. Listen. I'm with you. I'm happy to be here. I, I can't believe I'm alive. I'm on the planet. I've got a wife who loves me. I love her. I mean, I've got children. I mean, everything is so You've much. Three good. girls. That's right. Three girls, right? Yes, I do. And, and they're That's wonderful. Fantastic. And they're making contributions to the world. And they're, they're, they're just lovely, lovely people. And I feel good like you, but I get angry. First of all, as you know, we're looking at the back nine. I'm almost your age. We're, you know, we know there's only so many years left. And yes, I'm happy to be here. And I understand what you mean about witnessing this. But gee, wouldn't it be nice for the last couple of years of your life if we weren't dealing with this shit and we could get out and we could go hug people and, and visit family and friends without worry? I mean, it is aggravating. You and know, tour. it's just, it's you know, just really crazy. People love to see you on tour. Yep. Yeah, I need to see you on tour. We need to hang. Yeah, yeah we got to do all of that. We got to get ourselves to get our trip together so we can do that. I'm just saying, I'm not going to be there on TV. Somebody's going to see me playing on TV. A bunch of people in the crowd all standing there with no masks on. Hey, everything's cool. Neil's doing it. No, that's not. That's not it. I don't care if I'm the only one who doesn't do it. Okay, I am the only one who's not doing it. I'm not going to do it. There's others like me, but I don't care if I was the only one, I'd still be doing this. Thank you for saying that. I admire that. I know, look, you're also an established guy. You've got plenty of money and all this, but it's in your bones to perform. You love to perform, and I know you would love, I love to. It. And I don't, and I, yes, and I don't think you say that easily that you're going to stop touring and tour this thing, but I agree with you. It's too confusing a message. For Christ's sake, I, I look around, I see people having parties. And then there's other people hiding in their house. 
which side are you on? Either, either you accept that there's a pandemic or you don't. So I love that you're saying it. I really, truly do. There's another Thanks. theme. There's a song on this new album. And I got to tell you, I love that you wrote it. Don't Forget Love. Now, this is a very evolved song for me because I think most men do not understand the power of love. And they're embarrassed to talk about it. And in this song, you're saying to everybody, love is, this is my opinion, love is the medicine. And most men in particular are ashamed of the love they need. They need the love of a father. They need the love of a mother. They, we want to act like we don't need love. And that probably love could be the salve that would fix everything. But people forget about it. They're embarrassed by it. Is that the point of the song, Don't Forget Love? Well, first first of all, uh, yeah, it is. That, that That's a lot of it. But how about it? Let's hear it for your wife and your three girls. They have affected you. They've changed your life because Absolutely. of the beauty and the love that you see from those three, but, you know, or those four. It's right. like... You know, they, they change your perspective on life. They change your perspective. Your kids change everything. And uh, and you had a gift. You look at these three girls that are all looking at you, and now you're looking at them. And, and the world is different. Your world is different. You're talking about love in ways right here that maybe 20 or 30 years ago you wouldn't be talking about love. So that's... That's what I, I that's what I dig about the, about you know being married and having kids and and just having someone who loves you and and all that. We still got that, and we got to hold on to that, and and that'll help us. And we got to remember that everything we do to survive is based on keeping that, keeping that safe, and making a, a home for it, so that we can continue to grow as a species, so we can continue to affect the the universe. I mean, we're not done. I don't want to think that we're a bunch of mosquitoes and the spray just hit the room. I don't want to feel that way. I went into therapy 20 years ago, and the most embarrassing thing to me <laughs> was talking about love and learning yeah. how to love. I was ashamed. I didn't want to admit I needed love. I wanted to say, I'm a tough guy. Sign Fuck a weakness. Yeah. Sign a weakness. But the power is saying, I want, I need love really badly. And that's right. I want, I wonder with you going back into history now, if you don't mind. Again, you know, I was talking to Ben Affleck about this yesterday. He, he, his father left him when he was 11 years old, caused a lot of pain, a lot of disruption hmm. in his life. Too bad. Here you are today. I happen to know your father when you were 12 left the family. He left you. It's it's probably been a lifelong process for you to admit, I need my father, I need his love. Because there's a certain yeah. shame in that, right? I mean... It, well, I, I, missed, I, I missed him when he went away, that's for darn sure. And later on in life, we got to talk it over and, and go over all this stuff. And, in, and then in my life, I've done things, I've left families. Uh, I know why. You know, and I made my choices, and I stand, I stand with my choices. Uh, there are uh, someone who don't know me or don't know the facts that might disagree, 
with the fact that, you know, I could split up with my wife of 35 years and have a kid with cerebral palsy and, and, and have all these things and, and walk. But, you know, everybody has their own life, what they need to do, you know. And one thing I, I need to do is take care of that kid. I, I got to do that. That's something I love to do. He's a great kid. So even he's like 44 or something, you know, and he's still here on the planet. You know, we saw doctors when he was 10 that said, well, you know, he probably won't make it till 15, you know, and we said, no, no, we can, we can hold this together. We can make this happen. So we had a lot of love in our family, but time marched on and everything. And there's a lot of substances in the world that can screw things up and things happened. You know, things happen, but life goes on. We, you, you have to make these decisions, and you have to do what you can do. And I, I'm, very, I'm very happy for me, and I'm very happy for you because we found love in our lives. That's what – if we can hold on to that and, and, and use that energy of love to, to try to take on this – think about the love and think about your kids and think about your grandchildren. Think about, i got to make the world better for my grandchildren I'm just starting to meet my grandchildren now, and they're going to have their kids, and they're going to be asking, well, how come grandpa didn't help? How come grandpa didn't, didn't, why didn't we stop? Why did, why do we do this to our planet? What about these, you know, why, why do we keep doing that same fossil fuel thing over and over again and all the other bad things with the chemicals? Why didn't we learn that? But maybe we are learning it. A lot of people are talking about it. You know, you got to, the pendulum's got to swing a long way before a big change happens. And then it starts coming back because that's, that's history. That's the way it is. So I feel good. I think we're going to make it. And I think we're going to turn this around. We got a lot of small, smart people in the world with a lot of great ideas. And, uh, and the more love there is in the world, the more we're going to hear those ideas. And we're going to make this happen. I'm not backing off. I'm not backing off for a minute. I'm not giving up. And the fact that I'm not going on the road doesn't mean that I don't care. No, I think you care a lot. And uh, this song is called Don't Forget Love. I'm just going to play a little bit of it. This is from the album Barn, and this is exactly what Neil's talking about. feeling shitty love might be the pill you need to take like medicine do you i don't know when the reason i'm asking about your father do you think a lot of your decisions in life were affected by the fact that you didn't have your father uh the guy's accomplished writer you know he's a bright guy and as a person do you ever say to yourself well my father's a smart guy the guy wrote over 40 books my father um, is a brilliant writer, bright guy. Why don't he work a little harder being more in my life? You don't get angry about that? 
No, no, I don't. I, I, I love my dad. I love what my dad left me. I love what he showed me. I think I understand why he had to go. Uh, it, it's in my blood, too. And, uh, and I just want to say, I wrote Don't Forget Love for you and me. I wrote it for us. I wrote it for my dad, and I wrote it for my mom. I wrote it for my brother. I wrote it for all of us to remember. It's like having a little card in your pocket when you don't know what's going on. Just to don't forget love. Just stick with it. Stay with it. I mean, I am one of the worst people in the world. I have got a bad temper. If you piss me off, I might go off. I'm out of control for a second. Then I, if I can just remember that song, I wrote it to myself. I mean, you know, it's not for, you know, it wouldn't mean anything to anybody else if I hadn't written it directly to my own soul. It's your mantra. Hey, Neil, don't forget love. I mean, when you're blowing exactly. up and getting, when you, when you, um, you know, you're pretty famous for doing your own thing in the sense of bands too. I'm thinking about when you were with Buffalo Springfield and you finally said, you know what, man, I'm leaving this band. I had enough, you know, whatever the reasons were at the time, you know, everyone thought Neil Young was difficult. I think, weren't you the guy who said, well, Hey, Buffalo Springfield, I'm not going on the Johnny Carson show because that show's too square for Buffalo Springfield. You said that, right? You said yeah, that to your bandmates. But it doesn't have anything and, to do with our music or what we were talking about. Right. And most bands would say, we got to get a shot on Johnny Carson. That'll introduce our music to the world. And when you said that to the band, they probably thought, Neil is a fucking pain in the ass. Exactly. And, exactly. And then you said to Buffalo Springfield, hey, I don't want to play. What was the big show you didn't want to play? I'm trying to think. Was it um, Monterey Poppers? Monterey yeah. Pop. Monterey Pop put people on the map. I put bands on the map. Yeah. You said to the band, was, you said to Buff, you said to the guys, fuck you, I don't want to do Monterey Pop. That takes some balls to tell a bunch of guys who are musicians all trying to get their music out there. Um, that's what maybe you mean by being an angry guy, an opinionated guy, and not backing off? Maybe. I, I just, I, 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 to tell you the truth, I never even really thought much about anything other than the people that we were writing our songs for and the crowds that we played for live when we went that would come to see Buffalo Springfield, not a hundred bands, Buffalo Springfield. We had our right. own thing. So I'm saying we don't need to dilute it with all of that and become part of that whole thing. I just, just thought that it would be good if we stayed focused on our message and what our songs were about and, and sang our songs directly to our fans who loved us because of what we did. So I guess maybe I was so focused on that. Anyway, that's why I, did, I didn't like doing all those big shows with a lot of people in them. Uh, I think the first one that I really did like that was Woodstock. Right. Well, you know, it strikes me how fearless you are. I get nervous sometimes. If I'm in a, a, something that's working... I'm so afraid to let go of it. And I even think about Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. You said goodbye to those guys for a bunch of reasons. I mean, I don't even know all the reasons. I know at one point you were on your own tour bus. Everyone was taking their own tour bus. There was all kinds of fighting. You famously had enough. You smashed your guitar on stage and said, this is horseshit. That takes balls to walk away from a successful group like that. I mean, it's 
you know, you think about that. That took some nerve. But I feel like you had so much faith in your own songwriting that no one could really scare you or intimidate you. Do I have that right? That's where I wanted to go, Howard. I wanted to I wanted to do this thing that was focused on what the songs were about and the look on the people's faces, the people who came to see us and how we connected with them. To me, that was the holy grail. That was that was it. That's all that mattered to me. And once we started drifting away from that, I was gone. I I, I just and I didn't even think about it from the standpoint of anybody else. I just thought, if I'm going to be me, I'm going to be me. If this is who I am, I can't do what I do if I don't act like I believe. So it's pretty easy. Did it ever enter your mind, especially with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and that Deja Vu album is magnificent. Did, did, did it ever enter your mind and say, shit, I'm making a ton of dough. There is a financial gain here. Just by touring, you could just tour the rest of your life off of that album, but that was the only thing you guys ever did. That's the thing, too, because you want financial security in this world. It's nice to have a barn in Colorado. I can't, you know, I can't believe that didn't enter into your thinking at all, you know? Well, um, it didn't. I, I, I just, uh, I, I was lucky. I, I thought I was lucky if I got a gig. I'm lucky if we got paid. I felt good about the money that we got. I tried to buy more land with it everywhere I went. I just in, just invested in land, and I liked building things. So the money never stayed. I mean, you know, I kept uh, I kept building things, spending money, and employing people. That's why I liked touring because I had so many people working for me, and everybody was happy, and everybody had a job. I was doing what I liked to do, and the money was flowing everywhere, and uh, people were giving us money to do that, and we were I was paying all the people that worked for me, and we kept on going, and. Uh, you know, we kept going and kept going. And then when we stopped with this uh, situation with the pandemic and everything, uh, I felt a, I felt a sense of relief. I was like kind of off the hook. And now I'm now I feel like uh, I, I, I just want to do the right thing. Uh, I wanted to be a, an example of doing the right thing, you know, in my own mind. I, 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 I don't know if I'm right or not, but I wanted to believe in what I was doing. So I do believe that I shouldn't be touring and I, I did love playing live. It was fantastic. I can still see the people's faces in the audience that I, that in the front that were looking up and just soaking it up. And it was real. I know it was real. And uh, that's what I believe in. So the money part was, you know, uh, fortunately for me, you know, I wrote so many songs that my publishing had a bunch of value to it. So at some point in my life, I said, okay, I'm, I'm not getting off the treadmill. I'm not going to do this uh, forever. I don't want the pressure. I don't want to think I have to go play some country somewhere on the other side of the world just so that I can keep things going for my crew and uh, pay the expenses of my bus and all of these things that I, that I have. I, I didn't want to look at life that way. So I, uh, I, uh, I, I made a deal and uh, gave a portion of my publishing to uh, – somebody who I really like, who I know, who I respect, 25 years, gave this person, uh, uh, his company, a share of what I have and retained control of it. So then I uh, I felt good about it. And, Wait and uh, Neil, I'm you know, confused. It was, all, it was all good. Neil, I'm confused. Did I lose what I was talking about, Howard? Tell me. No, I mean, I'm not at all. No, I'm no. 77. 
I can't believe you're 77. That's the other thing when I'm watching the movie. I go, I don't want Neil Young to ever die. This guy is, uh, this guy's too much. I, I, I love you. I, I, you know, I, I hate this getting old stuff. It's just freaking me out. But I didn't you're doing a good job. With... You're getting old great. You're looking good. Look at how you feel now compared to how you felt 20 years ago. You are getting better. Even the people who listen to you think you're getting better. Do Can you, you believe that? Do, I can't even believe that. <laughs> you know, the thing is, though, oh, I've got so many questions for you. Do you think breaking up with a band is the same way as breaking up a marriage? No. And it is not? Mm-mm. I can't. But, I don't think of it that way. First of all, when you, I didn't break up with music. Right. Okay? And with, I didn't break up with love. Those are the two things that you would break up with if you were dissolving a family or if you're quitting a band. So I go back to the source. I didn't give up on the love. I didn't give up on the music. I just wanted it to be nurtured. I wanted to take care of it. If the love was suffering... Because the situation wasn't right, I wanted to take the love somewhere else where it would do better. I had Paul McCartney on recently, and he said, I said to him, uh, gee, what do you do, Paul, when you turn on a radio or something and you hear shitty music? You know, maybe you hear yummy, 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 I got love in my tummy or kung fu fighting or some weird <laughs> fucking song. And he said, you know, I, I said, do you goof on that music? I don't know if you heard about this, but I, I said to him, do you goof on that music? He goes... No, no, no. He says, I choose to be positive. When I put on music, I like to just listen to people I admire, people who are good, like Neil Young. That's what Paul oh, likes to nice. Isn't that something? I yeah, mean, it's really nice. I mean, Paul and I have had a great respect for each other for years and years. We get along, get along really well. And we both, we both knew Linda real well, and, and uh, we both loved Linda. And uh, so we have a lot in common. And, uh, it, you know, Paul's a great artist. And he's a wonderful human being. And, you know, he's still got a lot of music left in him. You know? You, I, yeah. He, it's so nice that he said that about me. You know, I'm touched by that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's understandable. It, it, it's so crazy when you go through some of the songs that you have written. And you mentioned your catalog. The part I didn't understand was... I don't know what, you know, I see a lot of artists now are selling their catalog. Um, uh, you know, the Crosby just sold his share of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Wait a minute. Hold it. What time is it? How it's, long have uh, we been on, Howard? Before it was mentioned. <laughs> what, what, David? Yeah. Before I mentioned David? I'm not asking you to, I'm not trying to extend anything. I, I know he uh, fucked okay. up with. Well, we have a poll, though. We have a poll. The NYA staff. And 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 you to and you haven't really done it yet, so I jumped the gun a little bit. Okay, so I was it, we're no. in what? Are we in the third section of this? The third forty-five minutes? Yes. Okay. Listen. All Neil. right. Our poll. John O'Neill, our head archivist at NYA, has won the poll. Uh, although we may be disqualified <laughs> because of a technicality, because Howard really didn't say anything, but he mentioned All I Crosby's said was, name. I mentioned Crosby in the same way I'd mentioned Stills and Nash and any of those guys and any of the guys in, in Buffalo Springfield in that uh, Crosby told me he sold his, he, he was broke and he needed the money. So he sold his interest in his share of Crosby, Stills and Nash. When you were just, and a lot, Bob Dylan, I'll mention him. He sold his catalog. 
What I'm what I'm wondering is, do you look at that at this point in your life and say, hey, that's something I'm interested in? I don't know what a Neil Young catalog would be worth, but if, if I just took Harvest and 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 uh, everybody knows this is nowhere and uh, and maybe through and after the gold rush, I think you're looking at close to a billion dollars. Am I am I am I pretty close on that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a lot of money, Howard. But I but I do think. I, I, I do feel like, you know, like I like to keep it as long as I can, and I'm doing fine. Uh, and if I hadn't, you know, like I don't have any pressures because I did sell an interest in it, and I, and I, but I still control it. Why so, did you, who did, who did you sell an interest to? I think you just alluded to somebody that you liked. You gave them an interest in your music. Who is this person, and why did you choose them? Well, they're, he's an old friend of mine. I'm not going to mention his name or, or talk about that part of it because I like to keep that quiet. But he okay. really is an old friend of mine that was a good friend of, of uh, Elliot Roberts and a good friend of Frank Geronda, my managers. And uh, he was a good guy, and he was around us for uh, quite a while in Hollywood. And, uh, and he was always a good guy. And, uh, and he, now he has a big company. And uh, they they're doing this, and they got a lot of money from somewhere and started buying things. And but the fact that he respected my my uh, uh, my wish to retain control of what was happening, and that I do, only did it with him because of trust, uh, that I, I, that made me feel good. And it may be that in the future someone else will have it, and you know they may do something stupid with it or something or something something might happen. Who knows? But. Uh, I just want to keep it as long as I can, so that uh, uh, so that it's protected for my kids. And you know, it's, it's really just it's just a bunch of money. It really is meaningless in in a lot of ways. And uh, I want my I also want my kids to to be independent. I want my kids to grow up on their own ideas, and uh, and not be they're already going to be tied to me no matter what. So I want them to be independent in their in the way they're tied to me. I want each one of them to be his own or her own person and raise their kids the way they feel they should be raised and be, uh, you know, just be honest, honest kids. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Neil, why did you choose Colorado? I mean, I, when I'm watching that, uh, the barn, uh, hey, that's where she was. That's where she, it's her place. I mean, oh, she, that's Daryl's place. That's yeah. Daryl's place. Oh, cause yeah. I saw the totem pole. Remember I was asking you about that last yeah, night. Yeah. 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 Oh, I thought you had that imported for Daryl. I didn't realize you're staying at her place. I think her mother gave that to her. I think why that's you, what happened. I'm not sure. We were just talking about that the other day. Why are you staying at her place? In other words, I would think, you know, the two of you, I don't know, would buy some spread together or something. It's oh, just, you know, uh, it, it's you know, that means nothing now because we're we're equals, and uh, you know, like whatever I see that needs to be done, I do it. Because I want her right. to be happy, and whatever she sees that I need, she does it. Uh, she wants to, me to be happy, so it doesn't have to do with uh, uh, with the paperwork or where the money goes. The money's going anyway; it's going. I don't care, you know. Like I try to steer it, but I, I can't. But I do love that we're able to have these places now. We've got. Uh, uh, I live in Canada now with Daryl, some of the time. And uh, it's a, we got a great old place there, and it's fantastic. And and of course, our house in uh, in California that where we where we got together first, it burned to the ground a few years ago, and uh, we're still we're just about got it rebuilt. 
But now I got it all rebuilt with this great room for my son, Ben. And it's got his lift system in the ceiling, and he can get we can get moved right from his bed to the bathtub and back, and into his chair and around the room. And it's got a uh, windows by the by his bed that if you open them up, there's a water sculpture outside. This water is making sounds, and so all the time he's in that room, man, it's like a palace. He's got the natural sound of the birds and the water. And he can go anywhere he wants with his with his uh, lift and with his caregivers who are right in the room next to him, and uh, everything is together there. So we, the the fire was a blessing in as much as it gave me a chance to make a place for Ben, and so now we call it Ben's place. <laughs> when I was thinking about talking to you today, and you know how excited I get, it's a weird thing about uh, ha- having a son with cerebral palsy. I imagine because I'm sitting here, I go, I'm not going to bring that up to Neil. He probably doesn't want to talk about it or this or that. There's a lot of, like, shame for some reason. Like, I'm like, oh, Neil's not going to want to talk about his kid. He has cerebral palsy. Uh, and and that's, uh, you're just the opposite. You talk about it, you celebrate him, and you talk about his care. Uh, I don't know why I get uncomfortable. Do you find that your friends get uncomfortable talking about it with you, that it's a difficult topic for them to bring up? You know, if they know me and they've seen me with my kids, they know there's, they don't have to worry about that. If they, if they don't know me that well or they haven't seen me with my kids, I, I think you know me pretty well, Howard, but you haven't really hung out with me and my kids. So, right. you, yeah, you know, like if you saw that, you'd know, you'd, you'd get it right away. But it's like, um, and I think you get it anyway, but it's so great. It's such an education to, to appreciate what we have, what we're born with. And when you see someone who had that taken away for, for whatever reason, you, and, and, and they're in your hands and you're, you're taking care of them. It just, it just brings you uh, to a place where you, where, where, where it just feels so good to take care of them. And then they get better and better and better and they grow up and they still are who they are. And they, you know, my son still can't talk Ben and, and, you know, he's, he has a lot of trouble moving his body, and so he can't walk, so he's in a chair, and he does all this stuff. But his eyes are so alive. It's like the solar system. It's the universe. He is, the, you know, love. He is love. So what can you do? I, I'm very fortunate to have him as my son for the last 43, 44 years, as I am with my son Zeke and my daughter Amber. I mean, they're they're wonderful kids. I feel great about about uh, the hand that life has dealt me with these kids, and and uh, and their mothers, and you know, wonderful. Was it hard on your marriage to have a son with so many handicaps? Did you? Is that something that contributed to the difficulty of your marriage? I I I think that was your marriage. I don't think so. I I I don't think you can you couldn't you couldn't cut that out and say there it is. Um, there's a lot of things that affect things, you know, a lot of, a lot of things in life that come along that have nothing to do with anything. They're, they're just surprises. And then you're living with it. And eventually either you win or you got to get out of there. You can either bad was it? the bad thing or get out. How bad was it for you growing up with polio? Speaking of handicaps, uh, you know, that affects people in different ways. What? How did it affect you physically? Well, I, I don't have much uh, of an awareness of my left side. 
It's there. Yeah. It's not like my right side. You know, the where's my hand in space? Where's my left leg? Oh, my left eye doesn't see that well. Uh, you know, but it was, it's a it's a central nervous system thing. And I got I got vaccinated when I was uh, shit. I can't remember how old I was. Um, but I polio hit, and I got vaccinated. I remember being in line at the school. Everybody went, and they, we all drank the salt vaccine and all this stuff. And all the kids did it. Everybody did it, and we were so happy to be able to do it because people didn't want to, you know, it, it, it was a different thing. You know, with polio, you, you ended up not being able to walk. You ended up, right. you know, like paralyzed, all these things. And maybe the fact that that's what happens rather than dying and going to the hospital, that you're still there, and but you're maimed in one way or another, Maybe if that scared people to the, that they all wanted to get the vaccine, maybe it's because vaccines were new. This was 1951 or something, 52. So it was way back there. And, and, uh, I'd already had polio and I got vaccinated again because it came back or something up in Canada. But, uh, you know, you, you, we're so lucky that we had that vaccine. We're so lucky That's that funny. that guy saw, came up with this thing. It's fantastic. You know? Yes, that's it. That's why when I hear these nunnick shits where they won't take the vaccine for the good of their fellow men. Sorry. It's only it's because, Howard, it's only because they were misled. They were misled. They got a bad example right at the top telling them that it wasn't actually pretending that it was weak to get the vaccine. Yeah. Weak. That's right. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, motherfucker. Now we that's know. A, now we know. That's, that's a traitor. Yeah. That's a traitor. You don't do that. It's fucking misled. crazy. Yeah. He's he a, really a misled is. character, a misled leader. <laughs> he didn't know. People, uh, you know, uh, we we voted for him. It was we did it. So you know, we have to own it, and uh, that's what we should do. We should own that. We did it. We own it. Let's not do that again. I don't care. People talk about. If you want to get into politics for a second, people talk about how, hey, well, we're doing all this stuff, but we're going to lose the house or whatever, and we won't be able to keep keep doing it. I say, screw that. Get out there and vote. Vote. Everybody vote. If you believe that something's wrong and you want a better world, that's what we have. We have democracy. Well, let's hear. Use it. You know, try to try to vote your whatever side you're on. I don't care. Just exercise your your right to vote. Don't be complacent. And don't and now we up. got, but Neil, now we got a Supreme Court that's taken away a woman's right to choose. You know, it is it is important what people decide to vote for because now we How got about that. Uh, there's always some smart character somewhere who figures out a way to to uh, to put that in perspective. And that guy in California, Newsom, he's got that. He, he's using the same loophole now to get people to stop having you know be able to carry guns, those big guns. He's using that same control system that the other side uh, of the political spectrum put in place to protect their uh, right to life and all of that. They, they, he's using the same mechanism to stop the guns. So that's interesting. I like that. I like the way that worked. Neil, it's a positive to, move. It's a positive dwell, move from it. It is positive, but 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 Neil, not to dwell on this situation you had growing up with polio. But were kids cruel to you in school? Were were um were you an outcast in a sense? 
and 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 in other words, you think you found music in order to also make you more of the in crowd. Like music became your your way in, your ticket. Music was just a natural thing with me, Howard. I just started playing music because I loved it. I, I I got my first guitar. I was happy as hell. I was happy to be playing it. I was uh, great, happy to be writing songs. Never never really thought about polio. Polio was something I had, you know, and uh, I had a little bit of a limp here and a little pain here and there, but no, no big deal. Uh, I never read. It's, it's just part of my history. I take a, it's like wearing a coat or something. It, 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 it never made me, I never felt like I was being put down by anybody because of it. Uh, and I never did anything to hide it or never did anything to defend it. I just, that's just part of me. That's who I am. I wish in this, uh, I would have been a better guitar player, maybe. See, all, all the movement in my, is in my right hand. My left hand is pretty slow. If you watch the way I play guitar, it's like, you know, if, you know, both my hands were like my left hand, I'd be like, I think I still have the feeling, but I, I wouldn't be able to express it with the, with the authority because I wouldn't have the repetition. But thanks to art, my friend art who came along. Not art, the you know painting, arthritis. That guy, I he oh. he's living in my right hand now because I use my right hand so much. Art has taken up uh, his position there, so we'll see how that works out. I'm still uh, the more I play, the better I am. Is that why in the new film you're wearing? I noticed you're always wearing a wristband of some sort. That there's something going on with your wrist. Is that the arthritis? That's that's my wrist you and my up? thumb. Yeah, yeah. But if you look, I, I've been wearing that for almost 20 years now. And I just keep no on shit. going. Yeah. I had a little thing I found. They told me I had to have a, a operation or something, and I would have to get steroid shots and everything, which I didn't want to do. And I didn't want to have the operation because they said, well, there's nothing there. I mean, you have no cartilage, so there's nothing to fix. Uh, but maybe we could inject some cartilage in there someday or something. But I just kept on going and. And uh, wore this thing. I, I discovered this thing. I got some stuff at the drugstore and tied it around my wrist. It was just some tape, uh, some stretchy tape. And I got that, and I went back to the guy, and I said, look, look at this. So, you know, I, I, this is working. I can play my guitar. You know? Let me and ask now, you. Let me, it's, it's advanced, but that's okay. Let me ask you about vanity for a second. When, when Daryl shot this film, and uh, here you are making the music, when you watch it back, are you self-conscious on camera? Do you, like, I, I can't stand the way I look. Just can't stand it. Never been able to look at myself. It, it's painful. When I made my movie, I, I, I was destroyed when I saw those close-ups. It, it, you seem to not be self-conscious. You're doing this thing. I see you playing piano. By the way, what do you prefer, guitar or piano? You seem as good on both, which is amazing to me as a non-musician. Well, you know, I really just, uh, I, I, it's music. It, again, it's like, I love music. Music is, is me, so I don't care what I'm playing. Who I'm really not as good piano? on the piano. Piano's fun. But I just started, I actually started playing piano a long time ago. I'm self-taught. I don't know what I'm doing. I really can't play very well. I only have use, usually one hand at a time. And then, you know, I hit a big note on the bottom, just let it ride and play with the right hand, you know. It's all pretty, uh, it's pretty basic stuff. 
Any real pianist could tell you that, you know. Are, are you really being sincere now? Because I see you playing the piano, and I'm like, listen to the songs this guy's writing. It doesn't look so basic to me. Maybe it is to you. The The other thing is, I noticed Nils Lofgren. I didn't know this about him. He plays piano, too. And there's a oh, scene great. in the movie. He's great. And he's playing this little piece. And I'm saying to myself, boy, Nils being real quiet while Nils is playing the piano. Are you thinking to yourself, maybe I'll use this on an album? Maybe I'll write some lyrics to this? Do you think Nils's idea of playing the piano in front of you is to sell you on a song that he's thinking about? What was going on there? Nils was playing the changes, inversions on the changes of the song. I believe it's called They Might Be Lost. Oh. Uh, and I think he was, he was feeling his way through the changes of the song and finding it and improvising on it and playing it as he was sitting at the piano. And uh, I believe that's the song he was he was doing. Uh, and I was just playing through the chord changes, which, of course, are just repetition, which is I get involved with repetition a lot. So the mantra, that whole thing, you know, I like that. And, and uh, Nils is just a great musician, so I was just listening to him play because, you know, he's a genius. I, I just love he the is. way he plays. Oh, yeah. A talented guy. You can, really My God. you can hear him on Barn. Oh, yeah. You can hear I like, everything he does. Absolutely. And I like that uh, the other guys in the band, in uh, Crazy Horse, tease Nils about being in the Bruce Springsteen band. They love to fucking <laughs> yank his crank about that, right? Like, he's almost like a sellout for doing Bru <laughs> for, that, for that Bruce Springsteen music. Uh, they, see him, they see him as a traitor. What is, right, what yeah. is your... No, what is kidding. your what is your situation? What is your situation, Neil, vis-a-vis -vis dogs and animals? I mean, again, I told you one of the first albums I ever bought in my life was Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere. And the thing I remember about that album cover is you're standing there. I remember your, your hand is against the tree. I spent a lot of time in high school by myself looking at you. And your <laughs> hand is against the tree, and there's a dog at your feet uh, on the cover of, uh, of that album back in God knows when, 1969. And yeah. this movie, first of all, I was so jealous of these dogs of yours. They roam around in that Colorado. They're not on a leash. They have carte blanche in terms of uh, getting into the barn and watching you record, which they don't seem to care too much about. <laughs> but what a life these dogs are having. I mean, they're running around. It's like heaven. I, this Colorado situation in the barn looks like heaven to me. And they're beautiful. Beautiful dogs. great dogs. Yeah. And what what's going on with you vis dogs? Uh, well, you know, it's it, it, again, it's I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. The funny thing is that on Winnipeg, who's that dog on the cover of Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere, is pretty similar in some ways to Moon, who is here now with us. And Moe's a little different. He has got hair and not fur. A poor guy yeah. goes out in the snow and he's like covered with ice balls. <laughs> his, his hands, his his arms, his his whole body is all covered. Uh, his paws are completely like little balls of white ice. It looks like little marbles, and some of them get to be the size of a golf ball, and they're just stuck on him. And he's walking around, and he's got all these balls hanging off of him, snowballs that, that turn into ice. And then we got to go through this whole thing, and Daryl spends a lot of time cleaning him up, and we do this, and she's getting a suit for him to wear so he can go out in the snow without getting that. And I'm going, mm, maybe. Now, we'll see how that goes. 
But my dogs are great. I did, it, it, but the fact is, it, it's funny that the one on the uh, on that album is the same colors. It's all the same colors as the little brown ears, and it's weird, weird. Same yeah. kind of dog. Yeah, uh, not me, it the looked same like the breed. Same. Yeah, but they're said, very related. And uh, yeah, when I saw the uh, film, I said, "Oh shit, his dog from 1969 is still alive. Look at that, still here, it's yeah, same dog. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird, but it's great. I." uh I love the new record. I, I just love that you're still writing music and you're so upbeat. And uh, I even like, I, I like the film. You, I, I like seeing you do these vocal exercises you do while you're sitting at the piano. And then you say, does anyone have a cold beer? And then you you actually start to write a song called No Cold Beer because you're so upset there's no cold beer. You have like a, like a, like a, a petulant child. You're like, no cold beer, no cold beer, no cold beer. And until you keep singing that... <laughs> yeah. Is that what that is? Is that a vocal exercise? No cold beer? Is that something? Yeah, well, it uh, was that day. It was that yeah. day. We would just usually do all the vowels and go through the whole thing, you know, through scales on the vowels, just because my voice gets a little choppy and uh, I got to give it every chance I can. So, uh, you know, we do that. And we, it's also a unity. By the time you get finished doing five vowels and full scale with the whole band, by the time you're done doing that, it's like some sort of mantra or something. It kind of has a, a cosmic organizing, uh, you know, uh, musical kind of scales, overtones, all these things coming together. And we all experience it together and hear our blend as we go through this together. So it's kind of a, uh, kind of a thing. I don't know. It brings us together. Can I ask you about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I got to ask you this. You were like one of the first guys to get into Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for Buffalo Springfield. I think it was for Buffalo Springfield. Maybe I have it wrong. But, you know, okay, I didn't know how you felt about it, but you seemed to be happy about it, but you didn't show up. You decided that it was kind of a rinky-dink. It was the first time they were ever doing it. They weren't set up for music properly. They were going to film this thing. And you said, hey, I'm honored and everything but I'm not coming. But then as I look at the history of rock and roll hall of fame, you've been also put in as Neil Young, a solo artist into the rock and roll hall of fame. Okay. Who could argue with that? But why when Crosby stills and Nash and young, why was it that you were not put into the rock and roll hall of fame for being in that band? I, I don't understand the politics of that. Is there some comment on that that you could clarify that whole situation for me? I don't understand it either, but it's it's okay. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, they made a big they were the they're the core of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. I was just kind of like a floating satellite. But they're they're the things that made their their vocal sound made it happen. Those guys are all great songwriters, they're great singers, they're great players, they played together great. I basically could kind of thumb along for the ride. They brought me in for a while, and then I went and did something else because I am a soloist. And so I did this with them, and it was great. And then we moved to, we moved on, and everything was good. Uh, so, uh, you know, those guys are they're, they're they're really good. You know, what can I say? If they got in there. It's Crosby, Stills, and Nash. What I like to know is where the hell is Crazy Horse? Why is Crazy well, Horse not on it? Rock and roll. That's rock and roll. What it is so that is. I understand now why you took Crazy Horse on this album. When you're holding that guitar, what is that guitar you use? Is that a custom kind of situation? Like, I couldn't buy that guitar, right? That that, that black guitar well, you have. 
it, it's evolved over the years. It's a Les Paul, uh, Gibson Les Paul, and uh, it had a bad home in the pickup. When I first got it back in 1970 or something, I got it. I traded Jim Messina for it. I think I gave him a Gretsch. I might have given him a, a White Falcon or something, and and uh, and he gave me that guitar, which I liked. And then I started playing it, and then it started. It was buzzing a lot, and so as I'd move around, you hear guitars and it was buzzing. So I thought, okay, I'll take this in. I took it into the guitar place uh, down uh, downtown. And took the pickup off, beautiful chrome pickup, never seen one like that before. Took it off, gave it to him, said, can you get rid of the hum? There must be something wrong with it. And uh, not knowing that that was the way it was designed and I couldn't fix it. And they probably knew that. So I, I said, okay, uh, uh, and I left it with them. And then I went back in a week to get it. And the store was gone. The store was gone. Wow. The pickup go? was gone. I don't know. You're, are you referring so to I your guitar? I yeah. got a new pickup. And I put it in. It was a DeArmond pickup or a, a DeArmond pickup that was used on a, a Gretsch White Falcon. I played like that for maybe a, a year. Then I got my guitar tech, Larry Craig, uh, brought in a Gibson Firebird, which is really a gnarly guitar with a lot of treble. And he said, I got a Firebird pickup that I have from another Firebird that I think we should put on Old Black. So I put it on Old Black. And then, uh, but Old Black also had a, also what was, what was really cool about Old Black was that there was a, uh, uh, we added a, uh, a Bigsby tremolo bar to it, which is that, that handle that's down there, that chrome thing. And, uh, they don't come with that. So that's custom. And the pickup is custom. So there's two two new things that we've added to that guitar. And now those, call, were, those were done in the early 70s. You call the guitar old black. Do, is that typical of guitar players? Like I know that B.B. King had Lucille. Is that typical that you fall in love with your guitar and you almost have to identify it with some sort of name? I guess. Uh, you know, I always call it old black. It was old when I got it, you know. So yeah. uh, it was already... 1952 is when it was made. I didn't get it till 70. So when it was already, it, yeah, old. Neil, but when you, you see a guy, let's say like Hendrix, when he comes on the scene, and you've seen them all come and go, when you see a guy like that playing a, a, a I don't know if he played a Telecaster or a Stratocaster. Stratocaster. He played a Stratocaster. Right. Do you yeah, ever say to yourself, hey, fucking Hendrix has got some goddamn sound there. I'm going to get me a Telecaster or a Stratocaster from Fender. Like, it, 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 like, why so loyal to Old Black? Old Black's the best guitar in the world for me. But I have other guitars. But Old you Black do. is good to me. I'm good to Old Black. We, we get along. So we stay together. What's that guitar you have there with you? What is the What kind of guitar is that? Which one now? Uh, just I don't know. Let me hold what on you got just there? a minute. Okay. Ad lib for, for, for 10 All right. seconds. Neil's getting a He's guitar. Going to get a guitar. He just left the I'm, room. <laughs> well, I'm always fascinated by guys with their guitars. Yeah. You know, like, okay. like, okay, what is that? Well, this guitar is a, it's a double uh, O something. It's Daryl's guitar. Nice. I use, I use a lot of Daryl's instruments. She has great guitars. 
Is she a musician? I mean, is she someone you can yeah, she, respect? She as plays. Yeah. She does. Yeah. She plays and sings. If she, Why if do that, you... That's what she decided to do. She would have been well-known as a singer and player. That's not what she well, wanted to do. She wanted to act. I mean, you're living yeah. with the mermaid. Did a great job. <laughs> you are living with the mermaid from Splash. You son of a gun. He's That's great. a big deal. It's a very big deal. Let me hear the sound of that thing. It sounds good. Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. I got this new song working on us a second. Break the chain. Break the chain Break the chain That's all I got right now. When you but, say that's all you got, you like that over and over. You said you like repetition. Break the chain, break the chain, break the chain. It's, it's, it worked. You, you've got it. You've got that little I, note in it. That's, there's something there. So I know I have that. I can hang the whole thing on that. So, but so I did that's while I was walking. Before the pandemic, the pandemic had just started. And Daryl and I were out for a walk. And I'm walking through the another area where there's beautiful grass and alpines. Uh, uh, aspen trees and everything, and I'm walking step by step, and I'm singing this song to myself, saying, break the chain, and then uh, all the words start coming, and I'm copying them in a little piece of paper in my pocket, and I do this whole thing, and then, uh, you know, it was a couple of months before we even thought of, you know, the barn or anything like that, and uh, so, I, so it's about the pandemic, and it's about COVID, and it's about the bug, and don't give it a place to hide and, you know, don't. So I finished it and I wrote it all down and then I forgot it. So I found the paper. I found the paper just uh, uh, maybe two months ago. So, but when we did Barn, I didn't remember it. So I, uh, so I'm going to do that and maybe in the next album. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, what is it? You just kind of like, I, I know like you wrote, uh, what were the three songs you wrote? You had 103 Fever. I'm trying to remember. It was years ago. I think it was well, maybe one Cinnamon was down Girl. Down by the River, right? Oh, Down by the River, which uh, Girl, you wrote. Down with... by the River and Cinnamon Girl. Yeah, Down by the River. Can you imagine? You had 103 Fever. Good song, right? I was telling everyone this morning how excited I was that you were coming in. But I said, I, I did a thing in high school. The second time I had actual intercourse sex, I had a girl in my room and I put um, Neil Young on the on my on my phonograph. Everybody knows this is nowhere, and we tried to have sex to um, down by the river. I shot my baby. Holy mackerel! That is not a song to make love to. Oh, my oh that that's not the right one to be doing that. With. <laughs> I mean, I really have held you responsible. Howard, that was not a good idea, buddy. I don't know how to tell you that was really a bad idea. <laughs> she hated me so much. She was like, never had anything to do with me again. And we had smoked weed. Everything was all set up. And, and, and I had that on. And it, yeah. it, like if, I, if I had just waited for Cowgirl in the Sand, it would have been a better experience, I think, you know? That's right. <laughs> so great. Hello, but, you know, Cowgirl in the Sand. 
Hello, cowgirl in the sand. Oh, you're going on the road, Howard. Oh, you know, by the way, I noticed your voice. You didn't get fucked over in life. A lot of guys get older. They can't sing. You're still singing in the high register. I didn't detect any deterioration in your voice on this album. My voice you f- is hard. It would be hard to tell if it deteriorated. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on. From what where it started. No, nah, come on. I mean, you what? You're down on your voice? You didn't think you could. Oh, I love my voice. Out. Right. <laughs> you didn't always love your voice. I don't know why. Though. You've said in interviews that in the beginning you didn't have confidence in your singing. You didn't think you were a good singer. Well, people told me I couldn't sing, so I kept believing them. Then, uh, then when I joined Buffalo Springfield, they said, it's great songs. <laughs> uh, Richie and Steven will sing that one. Uh, you know, that was cool. I understood that. I, I, I could see why that was. No but, wonder you uh, quit that band. I knew I could sing. I knew I, I knew because I heard myself sing, and I knew I knew it was it's going to be something different, you know, but I'm, uh, I just had a high voice and, you know, didn't always, didn't always work with everybody. Just got to put my guitar in so it doesn't fall down. You know what song I love? I thought that was very beautiful. I only love can break your heart. And you know why I like that you wrote that? You wrote that for Graham Nash because he was heartbroken over Joni Mitchell. Am I right about that, or am I got that wrong? I think so. It's definitely around that time, and Willie was going through some changes. He's a yeah. good guy. He's a good guy. Graham? You like Graham? Yeah. Yeah, I like Graham. Oh. He's a good guy. He's always been there. You know, he's an individual. He has his opinions, but I respect them. Because well, he's, always, you know, he's, always, he's always direct. He always tells you what he thinks. He's a good man. I love him. I love, uh, you know, I love all the, I love all you guys. I mean, your music's been just crazy great for me, uh, especially during some hard times. And, you know, I, I guess the legend goes that Steven really advocated for you coming into that band because he wanted to rock and you knew how to rock. You know, you had, you so did had, Ahmed. so did Ahmed Erdogan, you know, the president of, of, of Atlantic. The main man, the chairman of Atlantic, Ahmed Erdogan, he really wanted me and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And Stephen, too. He, he knew Stephen and I together was great. And we, we no matter what we do, I hoped that we get to play this benefit for autism. At some point, when things open up, I'll be right there with him. Uh, and we get to play again. I'm looking forward to playing with Stephen. And, uh, you-, you know, but Ahmed knew. Ahmed was the force behind it. Well, here I go mentioning David because he told me he wrote a letter to you saying he's ready to get Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young together for a benefit concert. And he wrote a letter to you and he never heard back from you. And I and I said to him, well, I certainly understand why. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, if you if you say something about my wife, it's not going to go well. It's just not. I love her too much. She's too important to me. So it's just not going to happen. And that's what I think. Okay. All, this All right, Howard. Howard. What time is it? We need to know what what quarter are we in? Huh? We're at the end, ten forty. I brought oh, it up again. I don't care. Shit. I wasn't okay. going to, but you made me. It took a long time. Yeah. Who wins? Yeah. That's right. Okay, you still. He's not at the end yet. Right. He's in number mind seven him. of eight or something. Never mind uh, him. I I, I got to okay. ask you one anyway, question. Anyway, I got a poll here. I got people who are registered. There's, there's, there's money in this. <laughs> okay. Did you? Did you but, make any uh, money? John O'Neill, you no longer are the winner. 
<laughs> were disqualified because Howard didn't say anything to to speak of. He just it wasn't that. But this last episode he qualifies. So okay, good. I'll figure All it. Right. I'll do the math. Here's the question. Forget about him. I'll give you another question, and this is about Nash. Thank you. Thank when you wrote the brilliant album, okay, Harvest, one of the greatest albums, my opinion again, that have ever been written. Every song on it is good. A Man Needs a Maid is fucking incredible. Old Man, Alabama, Alabama. You know, that's good stuff. After you, this is crazy to me. Tell me if this is true. After you wrote the album, you said to Nash, I want you to hear the album. In my mind, you said that because you knew it was so fucking good. You're like, you, you guys need me and Crosby, Stills, and Nash, dude. I mean, you, but oh, you took them out. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, oh, God, I wish this guy was still in the band. But after you wrote that album, you took them out in a rowboat. You played him the album. On one side of the of the of lake you were on was uh, your barn, and you had a big speaker in the barn for the, let's say, the right-hand sound. And on the left hand, you had some other structure where you had a speaker. House. A house. A house. A house. And you're there, and you're playing him this masterpiece you've written, and you're hearing it, and you go, you yell out to your people, we're here listening to this record I just wrote. Give me more barn. <laughs> there wasn't enough sound coming out of the barn. Is this an accurate description of after you wrote this masterpiece? You know, why the lake? Why the two big structures? What was going through your mind? Well, I just wanted to hear what it was, you know, stereo. I just wanted to hear a biggest, bigger stereo. And, you know, I had these big Voice of the Theater speakers set up in in both buildings and, and uh, wires running from one to the other. It was before internet and all that stuff. And, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, we were on in the rowboat, a little aluminum rowboat on the lake that's in front of my house. And also the barn is on the other side of the lake by about maybe, you know, 150 yards. So we're sitting there and the, it's maybe 300 yards or 250 yards between the barn and the house. And I'm in the middle, more or less, a little bit closer to the house. And we needed more barn. To me, it was like more barn. <laughs> what, what what was Graham's re th th this album? I think you know some albums it takes you a while to get into them. I think this album in particular, Harvest, it it, it takes you one listen. When when Graham when you when you added the barn and, you, and now you're in a boat and he you're playing him this. Hey, you play him that, and then you go, oh, hey, listen to this one. Wanna go somewhere, I don't know when. I was watching a movie with a friend. I fell in love with the actress. She was playing a part that I could understand. And then you're sitting there, you've added the barn in. A man needs a mate. 
Graham Nash is sitting there. You're playing this for him. And then you hit him with this one. I got the chills. It's it's mind blowing to me. And then just to fuck with his head, <laughs> then you play him this one on the same album. Needle and the damage done. Love that riff. Oh, the damage done. I'm singing it to you, Neil. Here I go. You ready? Listen to this. I hit the city and I lost my band. I do? I'm almost as bad as I am. Not quite. By the way, don't you hate when people are in the audience and they sing along with you? I get so fucking pissed. When I go to see a Neil Young concert, I don't want to hear some shithead behind me singing. I want to hear you. What's your stand on that, by the way? Let me explain. But first, I have to go back in time about a minute and 12 seconds to... Alabama. Did you hear how great Crosby's voice was in Alabama in that chorus? It's amazing. Is that, that was Crosby so cool. on that? That's Crosby and Stills. Wait, let me hear that. Oh, and the guitar. That That's guitar Crosby. Part. That's Crosby? You brought up Crosby. I didn't bring up Crosby. No, second Where's time, though, it's a different thing. <laughs> you I just won 100 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't stop talking about Crosby. Calm down. Uh, wow. But, but when you played that for Graham sitting in that boat, was, did, did he, was he just floored? Well, he heard it like, you know, first of all, that overdubs that we did, I think we did words and we did other things too. And I played and he'd already, we'd already, I, I can't remember if I was playing this for him after we'd done the overdubs. I think I was. So he had heard some of the songs uh, and, uh, and he was there with me. And so I, I cannot remember Howard, whether that, I think it was, it had to be after the overdubs because I wouldn't be sitting there listening to the whole album in a boat. If it wasn't finished, <laughs> right. I can't, I can't waste listens. That's a wasted listen. I can't uh, listening is like gold. I only listen if I have to, and I only listen for a reason. And when everything's done, I'll listen to it. That's okay. I smoke some weed and listen to it while I'm taking a walk. But if I'm working on it, a listen is like gold. I will not listen to it unless I'm listening for a reason and everything is right. Cause I won't waste one listen. Wow. Do you ever go back and listen to your old albums? Ever? Only just, just in, in the archives, we're searching for things. That's it. And we, we're looking for things. We got, we're looking for now. We got this thing called fresh tracks that we're listening for. And, uh, and so now I'm on the search for fresh tracks. And what it is, what a fresh track is, is, is the part of the, is, it's a version of the song that shows something that was lost on the search for perfection. And as we were trying to make the finished record, we went by the essence of the record and left it behind. And that was our DMO at the time was to make the perfect record, you know, make a great record. We were overdubbing. I was doing things like that at that time. Um, but now I find these, I find these originals, fresh tracks, 
First time I ever played it. Never anywhere in the archive is there an earlier version. It says original on it because somebody's already researched it. Uh, and we've gone through it and made notes. But now I'm starting to find those in what you might call the cherries. And, and, uh, and I'm putting together some, I'm doing a project on the fresh tracks, which is very interesting. And there's one album of that that's coming out in the next archives that I wanted to tell you about. Yeah, volume three, which has 13 discs in it. Uh, wow. And the last disc is called Summer Songs. And that's a, uh, it's all these original songs that I did, but they're all two years at least before the records came out. So I'm playing wow. way before they were released. And they, uh, and I'm just doing these sketch, uh, what somebody you might call demos. But to me, there's yeah. no demo. I'm not demoing. Hello. Um, so I did this, these versions, and I did them in a weird way. I sit, sit down and sing the song, and then without moving, I'd say, okay, play it back and record me. So I didn't move. I still got the same guitar. I just sang it, and I do it again with the one I did. So I find that sometimes I'm playing my guitar, sometimes I'm singing harmony, but I'm in the same exact place. I haven't moved. And it made it so the guitar was almost like a, a perfect double. It was so weird. When I listened to it today, and I, it sounds like, oh, they went in the studio and really got that right. But we, we really didn't. The guitar comes and goes. The overdubs come and go uh, for apparently no reason. Then there's another vocal. And, and anyway, this song, uh, this album, Summer Songs, has got some beautiful stuff on it. But it's all just me. And it's all done like that. And that's the last disc on volume three. And, uh, so that's, and then they were all done with, and they all have, like, there's a song called Wrecking Ball that's on it years before it came out on Freedom. And the words are mostly different. A lot of the words on all of these are different from what came out. They're the original words. So it's a very interesting listen for people who are into that kind of thing. Which well, is I'm not into it. But could you, <laughs> no, no, I'm into it because I like here. I I know when you uh, released um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, you do that harmonica version of Helpless, you know, right. and it's it, it's like this is really fun to listen to. And you're right; it's not a demo; it's a version of the song that you recorded. Yeah. And there's a lot of harmonica on this, and yeah. I got to tell you. You're you and you're probably one of the few guys that I like playing harmonica. Oh wait, totally different version. What a song, Neil! I wish I could write these songs. I was just in that town a couple of months ago. Yeah, how was it? Yeah, great. It was a shot. Uh, Daryl took some pictures, and we used it in a little blurb about something uh, where I'm standing in front of the house, looking at my old house. Kind of cool. Did you happen to read, I don't know if you did, but McCartney just put out a book. Did you happen to take a look at it? I haven't seen it. I'd like to. What he did, and I wonder if your mind works this way, what he did was he, the whole book is he said, look, I have no memory of Beatles and what we did and this and that. But if I hear a song 
that I wrote. I can tell you everything that happened around it. And so what he did was he listed a lot of these songs and what was and he was able to talk like a photographic memory of what went on when he wrote those songs. Are you similar in that way? That, that like I don't remember. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. The music brings it back. I'm married to the to the music and the creation of the music and the people in the room and everything about the song. Every moment is all right there with me. Uh, but so if you I, asked me about any of that without the music, I'd be just kind of like, well, you know, who wow. Knows? So these songs are important, man. Not just not in terms of how you made your living and how you made your life, but like they're literally your scrapbook. Uh, yeah, they're, they're all that stuff. That's why I enjoy my archives so much. They got them all chronologically there. All everything you can see when it shows up, you can see when it was released. Everything, all the ones that I didn't put out, everything, they're all there together in one big area. Do you ever That's get emotional when do you ever get because the memories come back to you, do you ever get emotional and say, Oh Sometimes. my gosh? And, yeah. You'll weep. Sometimes. Yeah. Because because it represents those times and now they're gone. Do you worry about aging? I, I know the your music, father. They're still here in the music. They're still living in the music. That's what we were talking about. You listen to the music and you're there. So they're not gone. There's a little keyhole. You can still see it through. You can feel it. Listen, your music, I still am right back in that room at 15, banging that girl to uh, down by the river. It's uh, <laughs> it, it, Those memories don't leave you. <laughs> it's there. Wow. I was in that room. Oh, no, you're right. But, yeah. You're, but, but, Neil. You're in trouble you're, there, Howard. You're in trouble. You're when when your father passed away, he passed away from Alzheimer. I mean, to, to me, Alzheimer's disease scares the shit out of me more than anything. All we got is our memories, and all we—it's who we are. That had to be a horrible experience to watch your father sort of lose that. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that he uh, when he, he always was writing, and I said, "Daddy, why don't you write something?" And you know, that'd be something for you to do. And he said, "He looked at me, and said I can't remember anything." Mm. And I said, "Well, why why can't?" Why don't you just write poems? Just write and don't even worry about it. Don't read it. Just keep writing. That's all new right there. You don't have to remember anything. Just keep writing. And he just looked at me and didn't say anything. Mm. Now, that's the last time we talked about that. And we went for a walk. Uh, during that visit, we went for a walk and went for a walk in the forest outside his, his ranch house where he lived up there in Canada near Omimi and out in the boonies there. And, uh, and uh, we went for a walk in the forest. And then when it came time to go home, you started going the wrong way. And I went, oh, daddy, it's over here. I said, no, no, it's just come with me. I'll show you. And I just, uh, after a while, eventually we got home. But we, we, he was lost. He didn't know where he was. And he was only like 300 yards from his house on his own land. So it's a devastating thing, but it's part of life. It's the way it goes. And sometimes you lose your big toe. Sometimes you you lose your brain. Maybe you'll you right. lose your memory, but you can deal with things that are happening right in front of you. It's it's interesting. It's what it's what happens. You know that's the way we we're not uh, we're not going to last forever. We slowly start to disintegrate. Oh, it's frightening. I don't know. Your, your father. The reason you're a writer. I mean, you're a songwriter. I guess he could attribute to your father being a writer. He was a prolific writer. He was a wasn't he in the Hockey Hall of Fame or something? That, uh, yeah, he was, he, he wrote, as a writer, he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He wrote yeah. many, many books, novels, sports books, and he had a column in the Toronto Globe and Mail. He wrote all kinds of stuff. He, he was a great writer, and uh, 
and uh, you know, and a real, he was a TV personality for a while. He was interviewing people on the hot stove league and the hockey games. Remember the hot stove league? Did you ever see that? That was a Canadian, I think up in yeah. Toronto. They had this show every Saturday night. There would be a hockey game somewhere in the NHL. And uh, my dad would be interviewing the hockey players sitting there with a pot belly stove. It was pretty funky, but he wrote about hockey and he wrote about everything going on with the teams and the, the, coaches and the owners and all this stuff. He kept writing about that, got in trouble for writing some stuff about the owners. <laughs> he, he was a, he, he was a troublemaker, but he, uh, get... <laughs> he was good. He was great. He was writer. good. It's where you get yeah. your rebelliousness. Were you, uh, he wrote a book about his relationship with you at one point. He was prolific writer. Did that upset yeah. you? No, Did that upset you. No, no, that because... was cool. I, I, I was ha- I was happy to read it. I wanted to know what was going on. I still like reading it. I'd like to read it again because there's parts of it where he's driving down to see me in his car and he's remembering stuff and he's, you know, he's whatever's on his mind. He's he's writing about it. It's nice. I like being with him. So you didn't feel used, like oh, now I'm the famous new. No, no, no it's his life. I'm his yeah. kid for Christ's sake. Wasn't about oh, hell me. yeah. Up to him. Wow. Neil, you something else. I love talking <laughs> to you. you Howard, gonna... I don't know if anybody ever told you that, but I think, no uh, I, I really think that, uh, <laughs> uh congratulations no, you. on your, on your family, man. It's so great. I've got, it's so yeah. good to see you with those three girls looking at daddy. Hey man, and what's I, up? And imagine <laughs> looking at me and saying, daddy, daddy. that's uh, <laughs> It's quite an eyeful, I'll tell you that. And they, you know what? I, I'll tell you why I love my kids. You know, being my kids, it ain't easy. Uh, I don't think anyone famous, uh, it's ever easy for their kids because, you know, daddy's in the spotlight. And, uh, you know, I would imagine even like for you, like to bring a kid of yours to a concert, even to see you playing. Yes, there's pride, but it's also like, oh, God, I want to be the center of attention, not my father. And so we got to keep that in line, you know. We got to keep that in mind when we when we have children and make them the focus and not not ourselves. Yeah, exactly. That's, but yeah. I don't think my kids. None of my kids want to be me. They got that going for them. Yeah, they me know. too. <laughs> yeah, my kids. They don't. <laughs> they see that. They don't want to do that. They've, no, they've they seen don't. Enough of that. <laughs> they they've seen it all. They know exactly what it does to you. They know daddy's crazy. No, the kids are great. I am proud of that, Neil. Uh, Neil, back with Crazy Horse. I was going to say earlier, I know why you're back with Crazy Horse, because this album rocks. There's a lot of good rock tunes, and I think when it comes to rock, and Crazy Horse is a great band. Uh, I love watching the film Barn with um, that Daryl shot, and that the I see your process, and I see how you came to these songs. I love watching you play piano. I, I could have done with a few more hours of it. It was just absolutely wonderful to to watch that whole process and where you live in Colorado. Uh, the album is called Barn. It's available wherever music is sold, wherever that is. Listen to Sirius XM's Neil Young Radio. Listen yes. to this. Show off. A whole channel. Neil Young Radio available on the Sirius XM app through January 5th on Channel 505. And you'll even see Neil Young urinating in the new film, <laughs> which I found fascinating. Neil Young urinate, yes. And and I'll tell you my theory on you. I believe you have a very large penis, and I'll tell you why. Because you're not ashamed to urinate 
on camera. You know, like you didn't. Was, was you know there what I mean? an audience there, Howard? Was, you well, know, was his there. wife's there. I don't let my <laughs> wife see me pee. God forbid she sees what that looks like. But uh, well, she, my, yeah, it's just we got to, You know, we don't want to get people to get excited and see this movie for that. Because <laughs> no. it's all back shots. I'm standing in a field. What's he doing? He's standing there. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> urinating outside. Okay. I remember when the I remember when the Who did it. Uh, they were also urinating outside on the cover of their album. Very few uh, rock stars have done it, but there is a liberation in it, isn't it? There's something beautiful about peeing on the land. Uh, I find. Yeah. And, I think it's real. It. I keep it real, Mister Young. You know, may I say you have been charming today. You are We're charming. completely charmed. She's you speaking charming. to you, Howard. She's speaking no, to you. No, oh, no. thank you, Robin. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, my dear. Absolutely. And Neil was good, too. Uh, but, uh, by the way, why are you standing in front of a map of the world? Is it because you realize that we're all one, that we should have one world, one world leader? That's a correct thing. I, I think we should have a uh, we should have something that yet unifies us. So the map is uh, the map is helping a little bit. You know, maybe I don't know. I hope so. It's helping I mean, me. Yeah. I'm so Good. bad with a map. I can't even name what you're looking well, at on the map. Do you map. know where I'm, the United States is, Howard? No, I don't know if that's Europe. I don't know what it is. I am. This, this is be Texas. United States is right here. Oh, right look there. at that. See? That. Now, where am I on that map? <laughs> you're, you're in New York. Uh, That's right. I, I don't think you're on your bus. I think no. you're in New York. I think you're in the studio. It seems that way. But you know how things are today. You can't really tell where everybody is. Listen, when this pandemic is over, I'm coming up there with you and Daryl. We are going to live on the land. You, me, and Daryl. I'll bring my wife, too. And it's going to be awesome. How is Daryl, by great. the way? I uh, had one, her on my show a hundred years ago. I had Daryl on the show, but I haven't seen her in a while. And she's the love, right? She she's the love of your life. This is oh yeah. This is a great. It's a great relationship, right? What can you she's say a about your relationship? She's a wonderful human being. She's very rare, a rare bird, and uh, very talented, extremely brilliant, and great. Uh, you know, she makes films, but she she acts. Is she? She's a great musician. She can play. She has soul, you know. So that's it's a great thing. She's wonderful, but she doesn't like me to talk about her that much. Will you ever sit around and watch her old movies, or is that like uh, verboten? Like like hey? Oh no, we, we we we're uh, we're just lining that up. The last one we watched was uh, uh, what's that one where where she's uh, in a neighborhood with five uh, steel magnolias. You watched oh. that one? Yes, yes, yes. And Blade Runner. Blade Runner is great. You know, she has her, uh, you know, uh, she she did all her own stunts. Okay. In so, Blade uh, Runner? Wow. In Blade Runner? That that thing where she's fucking through the air? That's yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. her. Neil, so in other words, does she sit there and say, like how you might be with your own music, like, does she go, ah, I don't like seeing that scene. I should have done it differently. Or like, like, does she have regrets when she watches the movie? And then she says to you, I don't, this, I didn't get this right. Or does she seem generally happy with what she did? Well, I think it's a, it's a mixed bag. Some of them she doesn't want to look at. Mm -hmm. She won't, doesn't want to watch them because she doesn't have a good feeling about them. 
other ones she feels good about. She's mostly talking about the other people in the films, all the people she met and how they are and how she liked them. And, you know, she really liked Dolly Parton and, uh, you know, she, she, she likes, she, she talks about what she likes about things mostly. Did she have a good experience? I mean, in your opinion, did you watch Roxanne with her? I am a big fan of that movie with Steve Martin, Roxanne. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great one. We should sit and watch that again. I'd like to do that with her. Steve's a good guy. You guys in touch with him at all? Does, does Daryl stay in touch with any of the people? I notice on movies, it's like people just go apart after they do a movie. Yeah. And, well, that's, the, that's the way it is. You know, they come together and then they go apart. And, and it's, it's kind of a thing because there's a microscope on you while you're together with someone and then you're gone. It's a different yeah. thing. I don't know. I don't know. I can't relate it to music. It's different. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, so many good songs on the new album heading West. I love it with the line. Good old days singing about the good old days, really good song solid. I mean, you got some great stuff on there. Uh, congratulations. Really? It's not, it's, it's really remarkable how prolific you are. Neil and Crazy Horse, the album barn, available wherever music is sold. Listen to SiriusXM's Neil Young Radio, available on SiriusXM app through January 5th on Channel 505. Look at you, Channel 505. And uh, thank you for doing this and giving me so much time. And uh, Hey, thank you, Howard. That's great. I'm working behind the scenes. I'm working behind the scenes at SiriusXM right now. We're going corporate. We're going up the ladder to the top. We're going to try to find a way to make Sirius XM sound like God, okay? Because really? we could give you, there is technology. You have to take it on and spread it among your whole thing. But we could have Sirius XM be serious high res and really rock, give everybody all the music. That's the only thing missing. And, and I'm working on it right now. So, uh, you know, I don't always win these things, but I keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing because... People in the world, deserve, they deserve to hear all the music. Not only that, you know, I happen to remember when you did Letterman years ago. I watched it because you were on specifically. I remember you came, you were maybe the first guy I ever saw with this. You put together a little company trying to make electric cars. And, uh, yeah. you know, you, you put a whole little, remember that? And, yeah. and, and, and you even said, I don't know if this is going to work, this electric car thing. I'm just trying to take something that gets nine miles an hour and get a hundred miles an hour. And, uh, and, and you were touting it back then. And shit, here and we it's are. It's happening now. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Remember that appearance? Well, I got a new room? battery system in that car now. We have a new yeah. battery system that's revolutionary. You know, batteries, batteries have a lot of problems today. But there are some real thinkers out there in the battery world, and uh, big changes are happening. I love All it. Right. All right, listen. You're going to I'll go let, electric. I'll let you go, because if you're like me, you probably got a pish. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but you can walk right well, out of the barn. not only that, he, he needs to have more thoughts, because he's yeah. a little visionary. <laughs> and, well, you guys uh, have a great day. Thank you, you very much for your time, Howard. I really appreciate it. This is uh, my thank last you. interview. It's my last interview for a long time, uh, uh, and I, I did a whole bunch of interviews for this record because I believe in it and I, I wanted people to hear it. And, and quite frankly, there's so much going on in the world that I, I thought, well, maybe people think I'm dead if I don't do interviews. So I, right. I went ahead and did a bunch of interviews, and it's been fun. And this is the last one, so thanks for being there, and uh, it's a pleasure as always. 
And thank you for giving me so much time and and and, and just being so open and and, and wonderful. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, cool. rem- remember those words. More barn. I love more it. barn. That might be the next, next album title. More barn. All right. That's a Thanks, great Neil. one. <laughs> bye bye. That's a legend, Neil Young. Neil Young. That is a a legend. I mean, my God. That's a man with a lot to say. Yeah, and wow. Still saying it, you know, like um, that. What was it? Can Eric? Can Can Canerican? Canerican. Canerican. Yeah. Great song. I mean. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, it's just great that he's still, you know, putting it out there, sharing his thoughts because he has a great mind. Yep. Let me see. I'm looking over here. We're probably just going to end the show. Uh, Ralph's back on the phone. He has a rec- he wants to hear Robin's bra, the Christmas song, but I don't know. Oh no! <laughs> you know, uh, there is a moment yeah. here. I mean, we must not just say goodbye. We have to say goodbye and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And uh, we wish Excuse you me. what? What about Feliz Navidad? You left out. Oh, Feliz Navidad. Yeah. <laughs> Can't leave that and out. And every other Navi, whatever, you know, about the holiday. Tomorrow. We'll just say goodbye because we won't be here for a while. Robin, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, lots of love. Happy New Year. All of that. And to our whole staff who worked so hard all year. When I come back, we're going to uh, maybe introduce a few staff members who have just put together a spectacular year and tell you what they do. We'll pull the curtain back a little bit. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, of course, I love you, love our crew, and um, I just wish all good things in the year ahead. And uh, as a little treat, too, tomorrow you can hear Ed Sheeran's exclusive Sirius XM Small Stages concert on Howard 101 at 5 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, Monday through uh, New Year's. It's our best of 2021. Howard 101 interviews, music performances, Howard 100. We've got comedy and everything else. We're going to be doing a whole bunch of special special uh, programming for you. And uh, uh, Bubba the Love Sponge wants to wish everyone a, 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 oh. a Merry Christmas. Yes, Bubba, go ahead. Hey, Howard, happy holidays, buddy. Hey, hey Howard, I want to ask you a quick uh, favor deal, buddy. You know, we go way back, buddy. You know, we worked together a long time. Can I ask you a quick uh, holiday favor deal, buddy? I think I know what it's going to be. You want me to contact Jennifer Witch? Now, 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 I'm not going to come on and uh, uh, do the rib, do the gimmick deal, do the caper deal. Now, all I want to ask is, can I get Jennifer Witt's phone number just so I can reach out and say happy holidays from Bubba the Love Sponge Show? And, hey, and maybe we could talk sometime. You know, my calendar's open. We could do a meeting deal. We could get an ad in the meeting. And, and I want to say happy new year. That's all I want to ask, Howard. All right. Come on, Thank Howard. You, Happy New Year to you, too, buddy. Okay. All right. I'm going to work on getting that Jennifer Witt's number. All right. Listen, we got to get going. Um, everybody but have what a, a week uh, you know this is yes, a very very, very special week of shows and yes. uh each one has been spectacular all right release robin's bra or maybe i ought to go out you want you want to hear it you want to hear release yeah. robin's bra is that Come it? On, Robin, how do you... better way to end this show it's not christmas about it let oh. me see well, i haven't heard this in a long time i've never expected release someone robin's to bra. Release Robin's bra. Wow. Release Robin's bra. 
Release Robin's bra so I can see those brown tatas. Wow, what a song. Release Robin's bra. Yeah. Right. What a way to end the year. That's a special one. Release Robin's bra so I can see those brown tatas. Should have played this for Neil Young. I want to bang Robin with this for Christmas. I want to bang Robin with this for Christmas. I want to bang Robin Griffiths for Christmas with my king, Beep Beep Hop. I want to bang Robin Griffiths for Christmas. I want to bang Robin Griffiths for Christmas. I want to bang Robin Griffiths for Christmas with my king, Beep Beep Hop. Who is the genius who made that? Or the genius? I think Sal actually wrote. You know the best song Sal told me I've written in 10 minutes? And I think he wrote that in about nine, believe it or not. It's a great song. Well, Robin, really, uh, you know, I love doing this show. And one of the reasons, probably the majority of the reasons I love doing the show is because I get to work with you every day. And uh, I do. I wish you, uh, uh, you know, all good things in the year ahead. And, um, and I'll see you again in the new year, 2022. Let me tell you, it's been a pleasure working with you all these years, which we found out were 40 this year. And? Let's remind everybody that you and I, even though we won't be on the air for uh, like uh, two weeks, we'll talk to each other a lot, but you will not be calling Ronnie. So <laughs> that's going to be great. <laughs> no, I can't right. call Ronnie. No, forget it. It's over. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you, Neil Young. Everyone check it out. Barn, so good. Uh, movie, too. The, oh, the watching them play together. Oh, yeah, it was just. A lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. Great fun. All right. See you next time. Bye.